when you first got to the varsity at Galena Park, who was the first person to bust your butt? Um, man, honestly, I have to say my teammates uh, from JV. I played JV as a freshman. So, uh, you know, those guys kind of ragged on me because they had to, you know, they had to play JV another year. Yeah. And I moved up as a sophomore. They were juniors on JV. Yeah. Uh, Big Pete always gave me uh, the toughest. I guess he was a rougher crowd. He always uh, had jokes and stuff. Uh, Felix, who uh, unfortunately he passed away my senior year, uh, but he he stuffed me in my locker. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was like I got the full like high school freshman effect. Yeah, he should have been on varsity too then if he could stuff you in a locker. <laughs> yeah, he stuffed me in a locker. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they just would joke with me. And then when I made varsity, they were just like, hey, man, you you graduated up. They used to call us the red ants because we wore red jerseys. He goes, you're not a red ant no more. So I said, yes, sir. And then, uh, you know, they gave me the toughest time. But, I, you know, it, it was like they were proud of seeing their little brother do something. You know, it, it was a, it was pretty cool. I knew they came from a good place. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy Alright, welcome back to episode number 19 We got a real special one, it's a guy I've known for a long time He is now the head football coach and campus athletic coordinator at Pasadena Sam Rayburn High School Welcome Sergio Gonzalez to the show, welcome coach oh, Thank you, thank you for having me all right, if you're a part of the team player movement, please make sure you have given us that five-star review. We're up to uh, 26 on Spotify, 21 on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty good for you know, a little show like ours. And uh, help us, it helps us. You know, More people will hear these, hear these stories if we get more of those reviews. And we got a new five-star review this week. You know, I always read them whenever they come in. This is from Obi Mike O. So I know who this is. This is one of my former players, Mike Obi. He's a podcaster himself. Check out the Four Insight Podcast. Please stop and stop what you're doing. Search that one. That's a great podcast that Mike hosts. And he wrote a great podcast with a passionate host who is dedicated to giving the guests a platform to tell their stories, which stem from all types of backgrounds and vantage points. So thank you, Mike. We're definitely going to have a great story like that today with Coach Gonzalez. So make sure you hit the follow button to subscribe and get all the latest episodes in your queue as soon as they come out. We would be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into your rotation. And keep up with Team Player Podcast updates by following me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, Sergio, let's dive into it. You grew up in Jacinto City, uh, Galena Park side. That's on the Galena Park side. And you also were in Wood Forest on the North Shore side all your childhood. So I, I, I know a little bit about that. My, my brother coached at North Shore ninth grade for a year. So I kind of know a little bit. I, I know that it's, it's a big, obviously, uh, rivalry. You know, just two schools in that district. So just describe to me the dynamic of living some of your childhood on the Galena Park side and then another part of your childhood on the North Shore side? So it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, you know, I know people say, you know, they're East side and all that. And it's like, <laughs> well, I've lived on both sides of right. the East side. Um, 
you know, I grew up in the Galena Park side in Jacinto City. You know, people don't people don't even realize that's its own little city. Yeah. You know, just like Galena Park has their own mayor, Jacinto City has their own mayor. And they are kind of like twin cities that share a high school. Um, when we got to third grade, fourth grade, my dad, you know, he started working at a different chemical plant and, and kind of moved up in the world, you know, if, if so say. And he found a house that, you know, Nor Wood Forest and North Shore area was still fairly, you know, somewhat, you know, I guess like what a Tascacita is right now, you know, sure. new, but not so new uh, in the 90s. So we uh, we moved to North Shore and uh, I was there from fourth grade to 10th grade. So I spent a lot of time there. I played all my little league in North Shore. Um, you know, I had cousins on both sides, on the North Shore side, Galena Park side. So, you know, it's almost like I just got to know everybody. Um, I run into people that, you know, it's almost like, you know, they they still forget that I didn't go to North Shore, but they just remember me being in the neighborhood. Um, you know, uh, ended up, you know, just getting to know everybody. I mean, it was just, it was just an awesome deal that, you know, I I only went to Galena Park, but I know so many people in North Shore that are in my age bracket, age range. So it's a pretty cool experience to know that I have that network. You know, and I, I'm trying to think back. I mean, with your age, North Shore was already starting to rock and roll, right? I mean, Coach Amon was there, I, I believe, you know, with your age. And so, but I know there was a time, right, where North Shore wasn't wasn't quite so powerful. But I, I'm just trying to get the timeline right. So when you were coming up through school, was, was North Shore already starting to win district titles and, and things of that nature? But when I was coming up and really understanding football, yeah, you know, I wasn't in middle school yet. I think I was like in fourth or fifth grade. Cedric Cormier was the quarterback for North Shore. Wow. So they were winning. Yeah. They were yeah. winning. They were winning big. Um, they won their first state championship in 2003 when I was a freshman. That's right. Against so, the Woodlands. I remember that game. Against the Woodlands. Yeah. I was at that game. Yeah, me we too. Cool. <laughs> yeah. We supported North Shore because one my neighbor played for North Shore. He was on the O-line, started on the O-line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was funny because, you know, just, you know, you know, just kind of unsaid stuff. You know, he was one of the few Hispanic guys that started for North Shore. Right, yeah. And he started on the O-line and, uh, you know, we went to every game. We drove to San Antonio. Wow. We drove everywhere. That's awesome. We went everywhere and followed their, their playoff run. And it's funny because I told him, I said, hey, man, I said, you had your run. Mine's next next year. And I was a freshman. Yeah. I was at Galena Park already. Yeah. And he said, I believe you, man. Go do it. You know, and. I know it's different, but that next year we ended up going 10 and 0 district champs at Galena Park. Yeah. So he always jokes around. He goes, Hey, that was your run, you know? So, uh, you know, I, we, we always supported North shore. It's just, you know, it was just kind of a personal choice for me. I wanted to play where my dad played and, yeah, you know, it was just one of those deals where, uh, you know, I supported both, you know, it, 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 it is a rivalry though. It yeah. is a rivalry. Because the last time North Shore and Galena Park played each other, I believe it was my dad's freshman year in high school. Wow. Been 19, 1984. My dad's still kind of young. You know, he had me yeah. at a young age. 1984, he was on the freshman team. And, Nor and Galena Park's varsity beat North Shore, I think, 42 to 0. No. So okay. Just, so the, yeah, the, you got bragging the parallels. right. So, so the yeah. last time they played, Galena Park got the dub. Yeah. Galena Park <laughs> banked awesome. them and blew them out. But, you know, it just talks about the parallels of, yeah. of how things change. You know, you got a community that's kind of landlocked. Sure. And you have a community like North Shore where it's just, there was just so much land to be developed. And, yeah. uh, you know, things change. And we see that all the time in high school football. You know, you got some powerhouses that just become landlocked. And 
happens. You know, it just it just happens. Especially Galena Park is interesting because they've had a lot of tra- like up and down trajectory. If you look at the records over the years, and so we could talk about that when we get to the Galena Park segment. But I find that real. I find Galena Park High School to be extremely interesting. And you know, I said my brother coached at North Shore Ninth Grade Center for a year. My wife actually was a coach at Galena Park. Uh, she was a soccer coach, you know, uh, under Coach Zapeta, you know, for for a couple years there. So we, we'll get into all that. But again, with that decision you had to make, you had a tough decision to make. Obviously, both programs, were, you know, were good during the times you were there. But you chose family first. It kind of makes me think back to Coach Ahead's episode. He described his relationship with his dad, who's a longtime Pee Wee football coach out there in the Pasadena community. What is it about what is it about that family connection, that pride and relationship you had with your dad, dad that make that made that decision easy for you? Um, you know, for me, just I always wanted I, I, I'm a sucker for sports movies. I'm a sucker for, you know, those movies that talk about family and tradition, you know, just because I don't know. I just think that's awesome. And I think kids should have that in their lives where, you know, there's some tradition or there's some things that. You just do it because that's what your family did. You know, positive things, obviously. Uh, and for me, it was just wanting to be there. I wanted to be there. And, and, and something my dad always told me, you know, you know, North Shore was already built pretty much. They were they were built. Um, and he just told me, he said, go do your own thing and be, you know, you know, and this is not to say that I was one of the best players or anything like that. I just worked hard and I, I overachieved for what I was capable of doing. Uh, but I wanted to do something at Galena Park that, you know, I, I just really believe that we could do something that hadn't been done, you know. And so once you got there, who, who was your coach? I'm, who was your head coach at the time? Uh, so for three years, it was Mike Coker. Uh, he left to be the – he left my junior, the end of my junior year to be the athletic director in Prosper. And then wow. he, he finished off as superintendent in Belleville – and uh, he's retired now. I think he's a consultant with Prosper ISD now. And then my senior year was Ray Zapeta. Ray Zapeta. Okay. So I was, yeah. I was trying to get the timeline, see if you had Coach Zapeta yeah. uh, for any. He was any also, well, yeah, Coach Zapeta was the DC my freshman year. So oh, I had okay. Coach Zapeta for two years. Uh, my freshman year, he was the, the DC. And then my senior year, he was the head coach. He left for two years to Mathis, I guess, to get that head coach experience. <laughs> and then he came back when it came open. And Coach Zapata, of course, now is the athletic director at SciFair ISD, obviously great athletics district. And I mean, I've said my wife was a soccer coach under him at Galena Park, had nothing but good things to say. So Coach Zapata is one of those guys is very well respected. So you you got to be around a lot of success. I mean, a 10 and 0 season when I coached for 11 years, that, that happened twice. I can remember two times I got to be a part of that. Never was even sniffing that as a player. But just describe, you know, for people listening, what was that like to be a part of a 10 and 0 season? Um. It's something special that, you know, I just shared a highlight on Facebook the other day of when we clinched the district championship against Dayton. It was an overtime shoestring tackle. They were fourth and one and we won it. We our our outside linebacker got cut at the line of scrimmage and the running back had to uh, he had to bounce it outside where our linebacker never gave up. And from his knees crawling, he grabbed his leg and tackled him one yard short. So it, it was just one of those seasons. I mean, we won. We beat C. King on a 50-yard quarterback sneak. You know, oh, Forge, awesome, Forge Brook, yeah. yeah. Forge Brook, you know, they don't exist anymore. That's North yep. Forge now. Yep. Forge Brook was going in to score to ice the game. They fumbled at the one, and we took it 99 yards, scoop and score. You know, uh, I think we played Orangefield, and, you know, they were running, you know, 
some option style offense. It was a tough game, and we won on a last second uh, touchdown to a freshman receiver. And the Dayton game to tie the game to go to overtime, we threw a hail mary. We had the first hail mary in Galena Park ISD. We threw a hail mary from about the forty yard line, thirty five forty yard line to a true freshman. It got tipped, and he came down with it to tie the to to take us to overtime. So we it was just one of those years where, I mean, you name it, anything like we had to overcome some. Now the you know it was just we had to overcome adversity. We only beat, we beat, we played Crosby and we beat them 14 to seven. You know, one, one of the, one of the touchdowns or I think recoveries was a fumble where, you know, they called it, they called it a fumble. You go back and look at the highlight tape. I'm not going to say anything, but let's just say, <laughs> let's just say fate was on our side that game. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those seasons where it had been the first time since 1964, 1964 was the year. Uh, 1968 for their outright district championship, but 1964 for an undefeated district championship. That was the first time that was back in 2004. So it was. So first know, district championship since 1968. Yes. From two. Incredible, man. Incredible, yeah. man. And I love, I love hearing that story Serge, Cause like it, it makes me think back to another team player alum coach Sniffen was talking about our 10 and 0 season at Fort Bend Clements. Yes, we we did have Derek Carr. We had an NFL quarterback as our quarterback. Yes, there was that. But outside of that, there was one player that played Division One college football. You know what I mean? And Coach Stiffen described that he kind of knew when that freshman class came in, there was just something special about him. Just a bunch of good kids like to hang out outside of football, and they they were on the same page. They're coachable. Were were you kind of feeling that same thing when when you walked in there as a freshman, like with your class? Did you kind of feel something special? Well, I didn't I didn't get to feel it until off season because they moved six of us up to JV. That's right, because you were a sophomore when this happened. I see. It. Yeah, this is a, yeah. Yeah. OK, so and I didn't get to spend time with my freshman class during the football season because right. I was in the JV football period. Yeah. So when we got to off season, a lot of the guys in my grade didn't really know me because I didn't go to middle school with them. I went to a different yeah. middle school. Yeah. So there was about six of us that got moved up. Uh, we all showed up to summer workouts and they gave us the option. Well, JV football sounded much cooler than freshman football as a freshman. And uh, little did we know, we were like, uh, we should have chose the other way. Uh, we, uh, our freshman team ended up eight, one and one. Wow. Okay. And, and that's what six guys who ended up on varsity, not playing with them the next year as a sophomore. How did you do your junior and senior year then? How did, how'd you follow up the 10 and 0 season? Did, did y'all keep the winning going? Uh, so, so we went six and three. We didn't finish. We didn't play one game because of the hurricanes. Right. Or yeah. Hurricane Katrina, I believe. And yeah. uh, we didn't, we didn't play one game against the team from uh, Orangefield because they were, you know, they were, yeah. you know, water damage and everything. Uh, we went six and three. We missed the playoffs by one game. And then the, my senior year coach Zapata came in and we went from a power high offense running speed option out of the, you know, yeah. out of the gun. We'd only really run speed option. And, uh, Coach Zapata came and changed this to a wide open spread offense, yeah. you know, and, and he, you know, he moved some people around me included Yeah. Uh, from the defensive side. I went to the offensive side as a lineman and uh, you know, we were running the spread my senior year back. That was 2000, the 2006 season. Yeah. And uh, we went eight and two, we lost to, wow. we lost to Crosby and we lost to Barbers Hill in overtime. Jesus, oh, so, you know, I, I just I, it, all those close games and then that you describe it. It also it reminds me of Clements, like where 
we went 10 and 0, just like your 10 and 0 season. A lot of them were close calls and games we could have lost. But the thing I noticed, we never really blew teams out. You would think That's a 10 and 0 team somewhere along the way are going to get a couple 44 nothing, 50 nothing. But I'm not hearing that from what you described. You described well, several one score games, right? So the first the first four games of the season, we did. It oh, was dude, okay. Yeah, we played uh, Heights when they were Reagan. Yeah. We played Sam Houston. We played Sharpstown. And we played HISD Austin the first four games. So those were kind of like where we built our confidence. Right. And I think we gave up one touchdown in those four games. But now as a but, coach, as a coach, though, like to win so many one-score games in a row. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you, list, you rolled off like five or six. I mean, what, oh, what yeah. does it take? What does it take amongst those kids and those coaches to keep coming out at in those 50-50 games that you keep getting the win? Belief, just yeah. something to believe in. You know, for us, it was a brotherhood. It really was a brotherhood. It was, I mean, I think to this day, I can name you probably about 20 teammates that I still say hi to or text. Um, or, you know, I might not even text them, but if I see them, we just talk about old times. And uh, it, it truly was a brotherhood. It was, uh, it was one of those deals where, we just, we bonded, we just bonded. And, and, and a lot of our dads grew up together or a lot of our moms grew up together. You know, my parents grew up with a lot of people's parents on my team. Uh, you know, we, we just always had some connection. Um, if we weren't playing on Friday nights or Saturday, you know, if it was out of season, we were at each other's houses hanging out for the most part. Um, I mean, we, we just, it was just a bond, you know, I, yeah. I walk in sometimes to go eat somewhere and I'll run, especially on the east side, and I'll run into a friend I haven't seen since high school, but they know all about my coaching career, and they follow yeah. my yeah. Facebook or whatever, and they just tell me, like, man, it's cool. You get to do something you love, and, you know, that, you know, and it, and it's, it's pretty cool. You know, I think I'm, in my generation, I'm one of maybe three coaches that, that, that will, will, will became coaches from Galena Park. Myself, uh, Coach Botello, who was my childhood, you know, my teen year best friend, still one of my best friends. He's all line coach at Galena Park. He, he stayed home, yeah. never left home. Uh, him and I became coaches. And, and it's funny that him and I became coaches because I feel like him and I have a, I guess you could say, you know, Coach Ojeda uses this term. We have the, we romanticize the profession as in we love it. You know, it's oh, yeah. just something special yeah. to us. And Coach Ojeda likes to always tell me, he's like, you're, you're romantic when it comes to football. You Love see it, such yeah. a beauty in it. And that's why uh, Coach Botello at Galena Park, you know, he's the same way. You know, he believes any dog can win any day. Um, and if you don't believe it, then why, you know, you know, I, I get it. You know, some guys, some teams, you, the deck might be stacked against you, but the kids can sense if a coach doesn't believe, you yeah. know. So, you, you know, you got to just believe and whatever happens happens and just never give up on your kids. So that's just something I came out with that our coaches, you know, I, I won't say names because one of them is an athletic director in, in the state of Texas, but uh, we were going to play Dayton for the district championship 10 and 0 year. The Houston Chronicle picked us to lose by 30 points. We were undefeated at the time. Dayton had already lost three games and they picked us to lose by 30 points. Uh, you know, back then when they did the spread lines and stuff like that in the yeah. Chronicle, and uh, one of my my one of our coaches said, well, it was a nice season while it lasted, you know, and uh, another coach of mine who I was who I'm really close with. He got up and said, 
ain't it a dang shame, you know, he used another word, yeah. and he goes, ain't it a dang shame that our kids have fought this hard to be 7-0 and and you're giving up on them because of a freaking newspaper says, you know, and, and they, they almost duped it out in the coach's office. Wow. Uh, and one of them was just, you know, and I, and I think the other coach yeah. didn't, didn't mean harm. He just knew that we were playing the one of the best running backs in the state in Dugat. It was Michael Dugat at the time. Yeah. And uh, you know, and, and we were some overachieving son of a guns. Yeah. And you know, but our other coach, he just really believed. And, and we fed Shout out that. to the he other really coach. Believed. Do you remember who that was? I can't uh, uh, yeah. yeah he, no, no, he's the an one AD. the one that was standing up for y'all. Like, do you remember? Oh, he was our D, he was my D line coach. D line coach. Okay, yeah. D line coach, yeah. man. They always got that yeah. dog in them. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was my D tackles coach, and and you know a lot of guys never really heard that story. I heard it, I heard it as an adult, and yeah. you know it's it's funny because you never would have thought that happened because our coaches sure. never, it, they really were the ultimate professionals. Whatever happened in the coach's office did not make its way to us, and you know you joke around and hear stories later, and you're like, man, I really thought y'all were like best friends, <laughs> you know. Dude. So it's it's. There's ways you can be professional and still disagree on stuff, you know? That's a great point, Serge. I mean, I've heard guests come on here and we talk about, you know, and you know how it is on the weekends. You come up with a game plan. Not every coach maybe is going to like the game plan, but at the end of the day, when you walk out of there, the kids ain't going to know about that, right? I mean, you're going to be bought in. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like your coaches did did just that. But last thing I want to ask about Galena Park, man, you you said there's 20 dudes when you're rolling around the east side stopping to get, you know, you, you may keep up with, you might run into them and say hi. I mean, it sounds almost like a small town. I mean, did, did you feel like Jacinto city and Galena park? I mean, did it, did it feel like a small town, even though it's, it's in the city, you know, or, or, or how'd you feel about that dynamic? I used to always tell people I live in a small town in a big city. We're literally okay, yeah. probably 10, probably five to 10 minutes away from six ten. Yeah. But we have natural barriers yeah. thanks to the ship channel and all that. And thanks to six ten, we have natural barriers to where there's only really one way, two way, two ways in, two ways out in Galena Park, two ways in, two ways out in Jacinto City. I mean, you know who's coming in there, and you know who who's who's a regular there and who's not. You know, it, it's it's just you get that small town feel. You get that, you know, you it, it, it's unique. You know, and, and it's kind of lost its luster a little bit as more families that have lived there for generations have left. You know, but it, it's it's just something that was special you know places that I went to in high school were places my parents would hang out at sure you know yeah. it was funny because I think what, what was it you know and I don't recommend this to any kids we snuck out <laughs> to go watch a movie at the movie theater and then I forgot where we went I think we went I think we went and bought we went and bought some sodas and we just bought some chips we were only like in ninth grade we snuck out my dad knew where to go find me I mean, yeah. he knew where to find me. And he's like, you act like you're the first person to ever come here. You know, <laughs> I think we're at the park or something. And, uh, but, you know, it was just, it, it was just an interesting experience growing up there. You know, I got friends who their parents are still there. Uh, a lot of my friends never really moved back, but they live in other parts towards the Northeast more. A lot of my, a lot of my friends have moved more towards the Atascacita Sea yeah. King area that it's growing. Uh, but our parents still stay around there. So we'll see each other at the store, you know, so you do get the small town vibe. I mean, up until, up until recently, they want my mom to run for mayor of Jacinto city. That's awesome. And I was like, I was like, you know, it's just one of those deals where it's just a small town feel. Well, you know, coach ahead of said that you romanticize coaching. 
And so you're finishing up. You, you, you had a storybook career at Galena Park, three-year varsity starter, really in one of the golden ages of Galena Park football. I mean, that's a lot of wins you racked up in your three-year career there. I keep stats on this, Serge. Of all the guests I've had, your, your guest number 19, 72% of my guests did not enter college thinking they were going to be a coach. Now, I think that's important because, I mean, I'm bringing on the, the best coaches in our city. And 72% of them, you know, did not think they were going to coach coming in. And the reason I bring that up is just to show people it's never too late. You never know when you're going to be called, you know, to the profession. But I mean, I'm guessing with you, I think you might, you might buck this trend a little bit. I'm guessing you always knew you wanted to be a coach. Oh, yes and no. Okay. So at our at our football banquet my senior year, we had to each say what what we wanted to do in life. And, and, and I know this sounds condescending. I was kind of a jerk when I was in high school. I had some teammates <laughs> that I knew did not take school serious. Say, I'm being an engineer. I'm like, well, you don't even like calculus. Well, you know, I'm just <laughs> one of those guys, you know. Uh, but I just, I said, I want to be a high school football coach. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, that's my desire. And then when I got, when I actually got to college, uh, my parents just were like, hey, study business in case football doesn't work out. You don't just have a teaching degree. You know, my parents were more about, hey, get, you know, chase that money, yeah. you know. And so I'm taking these business classes that I'm just miserable. Like I hated it. Uh, but, you know, I just told myself I'm going to get this degree, but I know what I want to do. And, you know, my sophomore year, you start meeting people in college and not a lot of them are going to be coaches, especially when you're studying business. Yeah. And they're all talking about corporate America and stuff. And I was like, hmm. Maybe I'll try to go to law school or something. You know, I'm good. I think I'm, I think I'd be good at being an attorney. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I started dabbling with that a little bit. And then my grades really tanked. You know, I started kind of hanging out a little too much at school and outside of school. And yeah, my grades kind of tanked and uh, I just felt lost. I, I knew what I wanted to do, but I felt like I had to make people happy. Yeah. You know, especially my parents, they weren't paying for my school, but they supported my college life as in stay home. You don't have to pay for all these bills, you know, as long as you're going to college, but you're going to major in this. Right. You know, so finally, uh, I would say the guy who changed my life, he's a I think he's a deputy superintendent in Liberty ISD out there by Dayton. OK. Uh, Dusty McGee. He was my friend. He was a, my JV coach. He was a varsity coach for me up until my senior year. He left my senior year to Laporte. Uh, you know, he's somebody that followed my class from seventh and eighth grade from the middle schools to the high schools. You know, he followed our class all the way through. You know, I didn't go to middle school with them, but they all had that relationship with him. So I built that relationship with him. And uh, he called me and he said, hey, what do you, uh, so what do you want to do? What do you want to do in life? We we're just talking and just by chance, just talking, he goes, Hey, why don't you come out to Laporte, you know, film, film our practices a couple of times, see what you think, come check out the coaching staff. And, and I mean, I go to Laporte the two years that they're freaking beating Katie and North shores and yep. Port Arthur memorials when they're freaking rolling. And I think we played Clements that first year, that year I was there, 2012. Uh, Jose Scott picked that picked that ball out the air. Oh, I remember him, Start man. Was he like number six? I just remember him. Yeah, yeah that, dude, yeah, that dude could sick. play. Yeah, and uh, I just fell in love with it. And finally, I told my parents, I said, "Look, I can make y'all happy, or I can make myself happy. At the end of the day, I have to live with it." So I said, "This is what I want to do." 
So I changed, I didn't want to waste all the business classes. So I changed my major to uh, uh, sports management. So I still had to use the, the business classes and everything like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's Coach McGee and Laporte helped me get my start, you know, unofficially. That's that's an awesome story. So, you know, you started out at Sam, you ended up at University of Houston, you're a proud Coug, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But one thing, you know, after such a great career and somebody that romanticizes football, I was like you. I, I loved it. I breathed it. My whole life was football in high school. I couldn't hang it up for me at that point. I was a guy that I'm getting D3 offers, and that was that was the extent of it. You said something similar. You had NAI offers, you know, similar to D3. So you, that was kind of your choice. So we had we were in a similar crossroads. I couldn't give it up. I wanted to keep going. I just, I just knew I, I, I wanted to keep waking up at five 30 and go to workouts. You know, I needed that structure. So I know, I imagine for you, it was hard to decide not to do it. So, and now that you're coaching, I'm curious, you know, when, whenever you're, 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 you're talking to your kids that are in that same situation, just, just describe what was your thought process whenever you had to decide, do I accept some of these NAI offers or, or do I just move on to the next chapter of my life? So the hardest part for me was just accepting that it was over. Right. Um, I mean, Sam Houston just offers such a good financial aid package that yeah, I couldn't say yeah. no. Um, and I, you know, like you said, I ended up leaving after a year, you know, unfortunate. My dad got hurt at work, so he was out for about eight months. Yeah. So uh, my mom just told me it wasn't a good time for me to be away. And she goes, but it's up to you. She didn't try. She guilted me without trying to purposely guilt me. Yeah. But uh I had a cousin who worked at FedEx Freight and they were starting off 18, 19 year olds at $15 an hour. Yeah. You know, back then I was, you know, yeah. So she got me on at FedEx and I said, you know what? I'm going to transfer back to San Jack. Went to San Jack, got some credits, bumped up my GPA and then ended up at U of H, which when I, when I was all said and done, it's the best decision I ever made. Uh, but you know, when I talk to kids, you know, I just tell them, Hey, you know, be smart about your decisions, but make sure it's your decision. Don't do it to make other people happy. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, if you want to play ball, play ball. Um, nobody, you know, you might have people that judge you for going to play ball and it's expensive and all that. But, hey, you, you only get one life experience at it. And yeah. when you're done, you're done. You know, I, I, I look back and I think I said, man, I should have just played at least a year or two uh, somewhere just to kind of see how it was. You know, I had Millsaps College. Yeah. I had a uh, yep. Texas Lutheran that, yep. Same um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Texas Lutheran, uh, soul Ross talked to me. Yep. yep. Um, I mean, McMurray. There you you know? Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just one of those deals where I look back and I, I probably maybe should have just took a chance for a year or two, even if I didn't, you know, whatever it was, I just tell kids, if you can live without having regrets, don't have, you know, do what you got to do. So you know, I came to grips with it. Now I look back and think, man, that would have been fun to play a couple, but at the same time, I look, I look at what I'm doing now. And I think it turned out great. You realize your dream. Great. You're there. You're, you're yeah. living it, brother, man. It's awesome. So, yeah. It, it, it all worked out the way it was supposed to. So, okay. So you mentioned Laporte, you fell in love with football there. Now where, where you and I crossed paths, I remember you were at, at Austin high school in HISD. Yes. You're working mm-hmm. under uh, Robin Kirk, you know, rest in peace. Uh, Coach Kirk was great. And this is what I was, this is where I was talking about. I was at Aldean at the time. And, you know, we were struggling and I was just trying to find a way to try to get better. And what I realized after my first year at Aldean, I realized some of the best coaching is actually happening, happening at schools that are going two and eight and one and nine or oh and 10. Like I didn't used to think that way. I'd been blessed to be in these programs that were advancing deep into the playoffs. And I, 
I got to be honest. I, maybe I assumed certain things that were, oh man, what's going on over there? Why, why is such a struggle? And then when I was in the other, when the shoe was on the other foot, I got into, I, I realized there's so many great coaches out here in programs that are not, you know, advancing the playoffs or winning championships. And so I started networking and coach Kirk was one guy I networked with. And I mentioned Galena park was really good when you were there, but at the time when I was at Aldine, they were struggling a little bit as well. You know, the program had fallen on some harder times and I, I, I networked with coach Handel was the coach at the time. And I, I, I kind of clinicked with him and, and talked with him. Uh, also Todd Wilkinson at Baytown Lee, Baytown Lee also now seven wins last season, Galena park, eight wins last season, went to the playoffs. So it just, what, the reason I bring it up is I love seeing that even if a program is down during a certain stretch of time, it's not a death sentence, you know, things change. Right. So can, can you speak to that a little bit? Cause you know, you, you're, you're just anything you've witnessed in all years, your years of coaching, and maybe sometimes you have programs that, that hit lows, but then they come back and they experience great highs. So with having been at Austin, you know, different places I've been in, and then now, you know, my, my last experiences were, you know, Dobie, and before I became a head coach, Dobie yeah. and Pato, yeah. where you're not landlocked. Or at Dobie, it's yeah. constant movement, you know. Yeah. But Pato was getting built up. What I've noticed is with programs like Aldine, Galena Park, Baytown Lee, where you're landlocked. I mean, yeah. the houses you have in your zone is what the houses you have. The apartment complexes you have is what sure. you have. Now, you might get a little fluctuation in the apartment complexes, but for the most part, you're going to get what you get. And that's that's all it is. But what I've learned with those programs is the good and bad with it is you're going to get what you get. And if it's bad some years, it's bad. Right. But it cycles. Yeah. It cycles. Yeah. When it's good and it hits at the right time, it can be good. Yeah. You know, it's a cycle. You know, and a lot of those communities, you know, it pays off to be patient, you know, because if you're constantly changing coaches, there's no – there's no continuity. There's no, now it takes a coach that's willing to go through those struggles. Amen. You know, Amen. Uh, it takes a coach that's willing to go through those struggles. But when I say that it has to come, it has to be a coach that has an admin that has his back and knows. Yeah. It's bad now, but just wait, just give us time. Give us time. You know uh, this isn't the NFL. This isn't college. We can't recruit or go draft the guys that we need to change our program. You know, we have to wait for them sometimes. And sometimes we'll get the, the right guy that can change the program, but we don't have a supporting cast. You know, I, I love that you said that, Serge, because I mean, the, the episode, the episode right before yours, episode number 18, I interviewed Jason Campbell. He's the head basketball co coach at Northbrook. Northbrook hasn't Northbrook's been to the playoffs one time in the entire school history in, bas in boys basketball. He's been there. Next year is going to be his 11th year as a head coach at Northbrook. And I was talking about that is a lot of times when you see programs that are struggling, you don't see this longevity of the leader. And I agree with you hundred percent. That is so valuable to have coaches like coach Campbell that are going to stick it out and just continue to believe in the program, continue to progress. And so I want to talk to you about that experience at Austin. Cause I know Austin had struggled mightily in football in the years before y'all got there. But when I'm, when I came out to your field house, I was blown away yourself, uh, coach Soria, you know, was there with you at the time and just the energy, young coaches wanting to learn more, getting after it in the weight room. You still can lift with the kids. You're still a beast in the weight room. But I remember you're in there getting the kids fired up in the weight room, making them love offseason. What was it like watching kids that had been through a struggle for a long period of time? And then you guys really were extremely successful at Austin. What was it like watching the kind of that light bulb come on or those wheels start turning that they started realizing, oh, my God, we can do this. 
at a place like Austin, when we got there, Coach Kirk, Coach Kirk was older. Mm-hmm. Um, but for an older guy, he still had energy. He yeah, he energy. was special. He was. He yeah. just, he just didn't hire. He didn't hire. He didn't have the energy to do what me and Coach Soria were doing, which is get out there and really be out there with him. So he hired two guys as his coordinators that where he was deficient at, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, for us, it was honestly, and 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 it's gonna sound bad, but it's very blunt about it. They found a group of guys who actually cared about them. And wanted to see them, you know, yeah. win. Yeah, it wasn't just you know a paycheck to sit on or, or anything like that. You know, we genuinely cared. Uh, I mean, if you ask Coach Soria how many hours we put in based on what we were paid, probably come down to like probably ten cents an hour. Right. You know, I will say this: Coach Kirk worked us, but it had a purpose. You know, we uh, we were able to do some things. Even that first year was, you know, the first year was three and seven. And the, the the year before they had won a total of three games in like five years. Right. So yep. the kids acted like we won the Super Bowl when we won that third game. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I think Northside, well, it was Jeff Davis at the time. Yeah. They even they even waited till week 10 to have their homecoming just to have it against us. Wow. And we ended up blowing them out. I mean, we just started rolling. <laughs> yeah. But I remember Coach Kirk. You know, he was older, but sitting in the 60s, and he just goes, it's what you get for waiting till week 10. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, Love it. Uh, you know, it was just one of those deals where yeah. kids believed. We got into the communities. I mean, kind of the same. That that Kirk, that Coach Kirk model of getting into the communities, getting into your little leagues, I mean, that's what I took with me as my first head coaching job. You know, I and, swear, I, I remember you got. I believe you, we put on a lineman challenge at your place, and we all yeah, all been down. And that, that was the kind of stuff yeah. y'all were doing. Which maybe I don't know if they were doing that in the past, but I, I don't think they were, right? So, what, can you describe that for a lot of coaches? Listen to this. Like, what were some of those things you did to change the culture besides your energy? Like, what what were some specific things y'all put in place to to kind of raise their level? Well, I just remember, and at that time, I had never worked at it you know, yeah. at a powerhouse or anything like that, or what people would consider a powerhouse. Yeah. Um, Coach Kirk used to say, I don't ever want to hear, we can't do that. We can't do yeah. it. He goes, if yeah. Katie can do it, if North Shore can do it, if the Woodlands can do it, we can do it. He goes, you got rope, you got tug of war. You got your truck, we got the truck push. Yep. You got tires, we can flip those, you know, or yep. uh, we got we got sleds, we can go buy them. You know, we had like four sleds and, yeah. Um, he just never wanted excuses. So I just always felt like I had to come up with the solution. So, you know, I mean, we just made it happen. We, we, we put it out there and we ended up getting like six teams. I mean, it was small, but it was, yeah. I mean, HISD Austin high school hosting a lineman challenge. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and y'all yeah. did a great job. I mean, we, my kids had a blast. My, my kids loved it. We, it was just, it was a well-run event and yeah, it's special. I, I still remember that day, man. It's a real special day. My memory. You know, it, it, it's just one of those deals where it's like, I'll I'll always remember when people tell me stuff can't be done some places. I'm like, dude, I was at Austin High School. When it was bad. The grass was bad. Everything. Uh, yeah. I said, but we still had a lineman challenge. We hosted some seven on sevens there. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I mean, you can't tell me you can't. You know. Amen. You know, between myself, Coach Kirk, and Coach Soria, we did some things that. I'm telling you, man, they, so people wouldn't believe unless you saw it with your own eyes, you know, just yeah. like you did. 
So this, so this is where you and I met, and then you you went you went through several stops, and you you told me in in the notes that you sent me, you said uh, you took the road less traveled, and you bet on yourself, and boy, it paid off for you. But that required you to move around a lot. Good thing you got yeah. a top flight realtor in Angela Ojeda. So shout out Angela. If, yeah. if anybody needs shout a realtor, we got the right person for you. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh man, I tell you what, she's always treated my family right. Yep. So. And then, but you, you said you don't, this is what I found this interesting coach. I wanted to ask you about this when you got on the show, you don't recommend this path to many. Why is that? So I'm curious when you said you do not recommend your path, even though it, it works for you, you do not recommend it for many. So I'm curious, why is that? And what type of person do you need to be to follow a path like what you took and be successful? So I always told myself, I wanted to be a young head coach and not because of the status or anything. It's just I knew and, you know, the elephant in the room being a, a young Hispanic male that didn't play major college football. My first head job or any head job is probably not going to be the the meccas sure. of high school football, you know. So I wanted to have the energy to turn it around. You know, I wanted to have that energy and that that ball of fire in me yeah, yeah. always burning to where you know, nothing's going to scare me away, you know? And, uh, for me, it was, it was a road that I traveled that at times felt like a lonely road, you know? And, uh, when I say a lonely road, you know, you meet friends in the coaching profession, you meet friends who kind of understand, but you meet a lot of guys who will be nice to your face and talk about you behind your back, you know, because it's because of the movie. Yeah. You know, I think the, 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 how do I say the, the standard that most people say is find somewhere, sit for a while and get moved up, you know, but for me, I saw, you know, he, you know, he might, I don't, I don't know how he feels about me saying this, but he kind of spurred this for me. You know, I saw coach Amaranto's at Galena Park, worked 15 years at Galena Park, give his heart and soul to that program and get passed up. Right. You know, Uh, and that meant a lot to me because I grew up with my parents. You know, he grew up with my parents and everything. And I just always said I didn't want that, you know, and and, and he didn't do nothing wrong. He he did everything right. And it was a choice that was taken out of his hands. And, uh, you know, and I don't know how he feel about me sharing that. You know, he'll probably text me or something. But, (laughs) you know, it wasn't something he did wrong. He did nothing wrong. You know, it was just a choice that was taken out of his hands. So. I use that as a, you know, my dad always said, learn from the people that have gone before you. So I use that as my learning experience where I didn't want to get passed up because maybe they think, oh, you'll never leave or, you know, or, you know, maybe we need a new voice when, hey, you know, my voice hasn't been spoken here yet like that. My my voice has been here to enhance the head man's voice. You know, I haven't been the head man, you know. you know, I just always kind of looked at that. And then uh, Lee Martinez at Goose Creek uh, ISD or CISD, he's the AD there. That's, that's my D tackles coach. Yeah. <laughs> that gives that away. Yeah, so, that's the guy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So he, he told me something when I graduated college that always stuck with me. And it kind of goes back to what you said about there's good coaches around at these two and eight programs, one and nine. He always he told me something that stuck with me, and I always tried to interpret it. I would write it down every time, you know, because 
everywhere I've gone, I feel like I have a relationship with at least a group of kids, whether it's one kid, 10 kids that I, I mean, I might've spent a year there at a few places and those kids talk, you know, I have a couple of coaches that tell me, man, those kids talk to you more than any coaches that they spent all their four years with, you know? And, uh, but coach Martinez told me in my high school, my college graduation, he said, I gave you advice on two things. Don't ever stay just because of the kids, because one day they're going to graduate and you're going to maybe regret passing up on, on opportunities. He said, love them, love them and, and, you know, treat them right. He goes, but always remember that, you know, those kids will graduate some days. Now stay, stay and see them out. He goes, but don't ever use that as a reason why you turn down an opportunity. Uh, and then the other one was don't judge coaches. Don't look down on coaches just because they're at struggling programs or you're winning right now. He goes, cause you can easily be at the bottom of the mountain. He goes, this ain't college. We can't go recruit or, or draft, you know, NBA or NBA, NFL and all that. You can't just go draft your stud and it changes, you yeah. know? So he said, there's some guys that just, you know, they choose to be in those programs that need them and, and it doesn't make them any less of a coach. Absolutely. So that's something he told me. I love, I love that advice uh, from coach Martinez and, you know, uh, coach Kevin Swift as a coach in Oregon, that was one of our team player yeah. alums. And he's won two state championships, two Oregon coach of the year. But when he came on the show, he, he said, Kobo, I've also gone 0-10 three times. And it's just what you, and he's at the same school, you know? And so it's what you just described. I just want to take a minute and just, just give, Co we always like to, I always like to give people their flowers, right? Coach Amarantos, you know, like I said, when I was coaching at Aldine 2015, 2016, Galena Park was struggling. And now I look at their record last year, they win eight wins, they go to the playoffs, so what, what do you, now that he finally has gotten his shot to lead the program, can you just speak to what you know about him and just, just what, uh, what you've learned from him as a coach? Um, just, you know, I've never gotten to coach with him or for him. I, you know, I got to play for him. He was a DB's coach. So when I was playing D line, so, uh, yeah. you know, the interactions were just in the weight room, you know, in between. Yeah. And he was just the energy guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, he always told you what he felt about you, you know, I know if I annoyed him some days, he let me know. And uh, he was just a, a person that a lot of people respected in our yeah. program. Uh, he was just a person that we knew he was from our neighborhood. You know, he grew up in our streets. And uh, I think that goes a long way with what they're doing now. You know, it's been decades. You know, the neighborhoods have changed, but he knows the back streets. He knows where everything's at. You know, he... Uh, you know, he, he understands it, you know, he just gets it. Uh, and I think that's helped him have the success he's had. And was he a Galena Park graduate as well? Yes. So yes. he's a true, true all the way. Yeah. He's a true. He graduated uh, with my aunt. Yep. I think in 89 or 90, one of those. That yeah. That's awesome. And it's funny. Like we talked about this with coach ahead on his episode. He's not, he's not technically from Aldine, right? He's from the East side. Now he's up on the North side, but he, he was talking about how he, he can relate to the kid's experience. And I, I totally believe that. I, that's why I'm so fired up about what he, uh, Coach Garza, his strength coach, you know, has come on the show. Like, I'm just, as a former Aldine Mustang, I'm really fired up for what's going on on West Road right now. I always look at the tweets and see the offseason workouts. And so I, I totally believe in that, Sergio, like what you just described, just the kids knowing that, 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 that you're from there and, you, you know, you, you can relate and you can get them to buy in. I, I'm seeing that kind of buy in. Uh, right now at Aldine, but let's keep going on, on to your, your experience here. After, after Austin, I believe you went to Fort Ben Marshall. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that was like the most amazing experience that could have ever happened. Uh, you know, at Austin, I just, you know, it was just kind of one of those deals where I, I it was just, tough, you know, I, and the district was just, the teaching part was very sure, sure. hard along with being the DC and, um, you know, I just made a personal choice and I went to, to Marshall. I literally shot my shots at coach, coach Williams DMS on LinkedIn. Love it. And, I mean, I shot my shot and I kept shooting about three times. So he finally brought me in for an interview. Uh, but you know, Marshall was just coming off a four and six season. Uh, okay. It was four and six. Yes. They didn't make the playoffs. It was after their runs with Chef, not Sheffield. Yeah. It was after their runs with Kendall Sheffield and all those guys. Mon Crookshank and all that. Crook, Crookshank and all yep. those guys. And it was like the, the buffer that year after. And they were four and six. And then yep. I came in that spring. And that was the, you know, it, it was one of those situations where I came in because I wanted to try something different. You know, I, I just wanted something different. You know, it's funny because when I tell people I was at Marshall, you know, I'm like, hey, I wasn't like, honestly, I didn't know anything about Marshall. Honestly, didn't even know about the runs they made before that. You know, yeah. like I was just shooting my shot with Coach Williams. But it's funny how like, I'm a very faithful person and divine intervention. And yeah. Coach Williams was literally like a godsend for me, you know, because he proved that you can, you know, you can be a tough coach without having to curse kids or to, you know, embarrass kids or do anything like that to get your point across, you know? And uh, it was just a, a crazy experience. We ended up going to the, we ended up going to the fourth round, you know, yep. with, you know, with kids that, I mean, they, they ended up being D one when it was all said and done, but nobody knew about those kids. Yeah. It was like the un, unknown kids of Marshall, you know, which is funny to say that because now it's like everybody knows those Marshall kids that are yeah. studs, you know? But that was the first year that that was Devon A. Chain's freshman year. He was on fresh. He was on the freshman football team. Him, a couple other guys. So uh, I mean, that just tells you where it started. That was the first run of the 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 um, the first of the runs for Marshall. For, and for anybody listening now, you know you're talking about Fort Ben. That's my old stomping grounds. That's where I, I'm from. I coached there for what eight years. You know, and I know Coach Williams personally. And I'm here to tell you, I mean, he is the top salt of the earth, high character. He is the kind of person you want to send your kids to go play for coach for coach Williams. I mean, even after I've gotten out of coaching and I do like broadcasting games and stuff, he's just so gracious and thankful. And, you know, thank you for broadcasting our game. He's, you know, like he, and he, he means it genuinely. He thanks the broadcaster for coming out and broadcasting the game. And he's a heck of a coach. Marshall's always extremely well coached. And that's a, that's a byproduct of coach Williams, you know? So just, I know any other things you want to just say, cause like I said, I, I'm just such a huge fan of his in particular. Uh, anything you want to just uh, share with us that, that, that you picked up from him along that time? Well, you know, you know, there's always misconceptions or stereotypes about even teams, you know, and coach, coach Williams used to always say, I don't want people to talk about our athleticism. I want them to talk about our technique. Yeah. You know, that was a big thing with the D line. He goes, yeah, we can run by everybody and probably make one play out of three because we just got lucky or play technique and, and make two out of three plays, you know. Uh, but, uh, 
you know, technique was big. And I think the biggest compliment for me was when we played Crosby in the second round, uh, Coach Garcia, who's now the head coach at Falfurius, you know, I texted yeah. him after the game. You know, I let it I let it sink in a little bit because we had just knocked him out. And I texted him. I said, hey, man, I said, uh, good game. You know, you almost came back, you know, and things like that. And he just said, man, he goes, y'all were – he goes, man, y'all were well coached on that D-line, man. He goes, y'all literally, y'all did not fall for things. Y'all, he goes, it was, it was pretty good. I was like, well, I appreciate it. And that just, that kind of validated what, you know, I was just hoping to just do a good job for Coach Williams, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he's a hell of a coach. And I, I just sometimes, I agree with you. I sometimes think he's, his name isn't thrown out there enough in like the, the name, when you're running off of the top coach in the city. Cause I mean, he's so consistent. And it's, it's always just been such a great job. But, you know, outside of Coach Williams, uh, you, you can't talk about Marshall and not talk about the track team, you know? Oh, yeah. And Coach Lloyd Banks, the head track coach. I remember one time I went in there. I don't know if I was talking. I think I was co- talking to Coach Williams. But I, I was in the field house, and the, it was the end of the day, and the track team was coming in to go to a meet. And the thing that stood out to me was the level of maturity of the athletes coming in. You know, they, they were coming in and it's pretty like business-like. It didn't feel like high school kids. It felt like college kids. And I remember Coach Banks came by and I, I started talking to him about that. And I just, I don't know, that that really stuck, stuck out to me under his leadership, just the, the business-like mentality that he, that he instilled in the athletes. So just curious, your, your thoughts being a little bit more on the inside, you know, what, what you witnessed with Coach Banks and, and the, you know, the awesome state, state winning, you know, Marshall track team. So I'll say this with respect, you know, to many of the track coaches I've been around and many even football coaches, you know, if I had a Mount Rushmore of GOAT coaches I've been around, Coach Banks is yes. up there. Yes. Um, he loves the kids yeah. and they know he loves them. But along with that is he demands a lot. Yep. And he gives a lot. So, you know, what he, you know, kind of the message I get is I'm going to demand a lot, but I, I'm going to give you a lot, but I'm going to demand a lot back in return. Uh, he genuinely just wants to put the kids in a position to be successful. Um, he doesn't like no nonsense. You know, he doesn't, you know, now what I will say about coach Banks is you call them out. They're going to respond. They're going to respond. You know, I remember one time we wore the, the track team wore the skull mask to track meet because another team, down the road <laughs> and uh had called him out or something like that yeah. so they wore the skull mask and freaking dusted everybody <laughs> uh you know he'll, he'll, he'll let them do you know he believes in letting kids be kids but hey let's 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 tame it let's let's don't cross a line you know um but he demands a lot he's he, he's very fatherly with a lot of the kids um but i saw i see that man he just works he works, works, works. Uh, you know, his, his right-hand man is Coach uh, Alex, Coach Rodney yep, Alex. Rod, yeah, that's another one, yep. yeah. Coach Chop, and he's always, you know, they're always trying to build money for that program. I tell him, you're always slinging Chick-fil-A sandwiches, you know. Uh, i put it this way. I, I was there for one year, but my mom's boss, her agent at State Farm that she worked with, was just moved by the letter that they wrote them for a sponsorship and everything like that. He donated about $300 every year to Marshall track team up until the day he died, which was about two years ago. Wow. Excuse me. Which is about two years ago uh, to the day he died. 
and that was years after I stopped coaching at Marshall, just because he respected what they were doing. I love I love Coach Chop, Coach Alex, man, because I, I love you know whenever whenever it's time to get fitted for the rings, he, you know he's always reaching out to the Balfour guy and <laughs> you know getting those rings sized up for all the all the championships you know that that they're winning. But one last guy I wanted to ask you about, you know, from your time at Marshall, he's gone on to have a lot of success as a defensive coordinator. Is is Jason Haddock? I don't know if you were on the staff with him, but I, I've done a lot of broadcasting out in Fort Bend and, and Fort Bend Clements under the leadership of Bobby Darnell, the head coach, they, they've had an incredible turnaround. They were a team that a couple of years ago was in that kind of 0 and 10 territory and they've just gotten better and better and better. And this year I watched a brilliant defensive game plan uh, from Clements to defeat George ranch in a big game, you know, to send him into the playoffs. So just, just curious, you know, your interactions, you know, with coach Haddock and, and what you picked up from him. Very smart. Yeah. He is a very smart person. He is a very diligent person. He, he, he does, he's going to leave no stone unturned. Uh, He's one. And I always tell people, you know, good people, things happen for good people. Uh, He's a guy that'll give you the shirt off his back, you know, whether you're a kid, whether you're a coach. Um, He's, he's one of the smartest guys I've been around. You know, he just, he's just not going to stop. He's not going to stop till he finds a way to beat you. He's not going to stop. So he's relentless. Yeah, no he's doubt, relentless. man. I was just so happy to see their success at Clements for Coach Haddock, Coach Darnell, all those guys. And so it's inspiring. Like, like, like we've talked about, when I see a team, yeah, it's impressive when teams win four or five state championships, you know, several championships in a row. Yes, it's impressive. But when I see a team go from 0-10, 2-8 and to to me, I mean, I don't think there's anything more impressive than that. Like, it's just, it's so difficult to do. So really excited to see those guys achieve that. And the last thing you just want to talk about Marshall, you, you got to coach uh, Devon, and I always get the pronunciation wrong, but H-A-N, right? Or H-A-N. H-A-N. Devon H-A-N. So what, what was that like? Obviously, he's balling out at A&M now. You know, we were talking about it earlier. You know, you think he's going to be a pro. So like, what, what was it like being around that young man? So he was a freshman, so I didn't have the true interaction like a player coach. You know, we did, you know, I'd see him. Actually, I had a, a picture in my phone. I need to go back and save it. I had a picture in my phone or my my iCloud, him and a couple other kids when they were freshmen sitting in the bleachers on picture day. I didn't know that was going to, you know, Devon A-Chain was going to do all that. Yeah. Uh, special. He's special. He's been special since his freshman year. He's been special since he was a kid. I mean, kid could go in and take over games as a, even as a freshman on freshman football. He can go score eight touchdowns. He's not he's not going to gloat about it. He's just that's what I was supposed to do. That's what he's you know that's kind of the mentality is. That's what I was supposed to do. That's what my coaches trust me to do. He's always had that mentality. You know, he's a very uh, he's a self aware person, but he also knows he doesn't need to broadcast it to the whole world. I just do my job. You know, I, 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 we've talked about so many coaches on the staff, but there, there's one more guy that I do want to highlight because, I mean, he was a personal friend of mine, a guy that I always really hit it off with, Coach Fagan, who's now the head coach at Size Springs. We, yeah. Me and he and I like, kind of did battle directly against each other. Same as the offensive coordinator. I was a defensive coordinator. So, w- w- I don't know. He's just one. Of, I'm just the biggest fan of his. I'm so excited to see him now as a head coach at Size Springs. So, just can you share just anything from your experiences being around Coach Fagan in your time there? One of my still one of my closest friends to this day. That's awesome. We'll we'll talk, we'll text, you know, you know, he'll, you know, and I know we're gonna get to that later with my first head coaching job, but he always his thing was stay up, G. Every time, <laughs> stay up, G. 
And, you know, it just, those little words, you know, doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't take a lot to say those words, but it meant a lot coming from him uh, because he was the version of stay up, you know, all that success. And he would go to head coach interviews and head coach interviews. Yep. And finally, Cypher stepped up, Cypher ISD stepped up and said, we're going to give this man his shot. Um, that guy is one of the most brilliant offensive minds I've met. Whether he has speed, no speed, whatever, he's going to find a way to put up points, you know, and he's just very brilliant. Yeah. He was playing chess and other people were playing checkers. And my, that's the mm -hmm. like, I just watch him set up stuff. You know, I'd see him mm -hmm. setting it up and it's just, it's beautiful. So I'm, you know, shout out to the buffs, all that success consistently. It's no accident. So I was really happy to have you on here to kind of just give us a little more insight, more personal relationships with those coaches. So shout out coach Williams, uh, you know, coach banks, coach, Alex, coach Haddock, uh, coach Fagan, and yourself, you know, so shout out to all that success. And, and here's the buffs. I hope they keep it going. But after Marshall, you moved, I believe, to Katie Pato. And that's another, obviously, a team that ended up becoming a state champion. So did you see that? When I, you know, this is also where you crossed paths with Aislinn Garza. And she told, she kind of told me on the show that, yeah, she saw it coming. You know, she, she saw, she saw that, that outcome. Did, did you see the, the state title coming? Or is it a surprise for you? I'll say I saw it coming, but I knew it was a ways away. Mm. But for me was I wanted to work for BJ Guy. Yeah. I wanted to learn the Katie way. Yeah. I wanted okay. to learn yeah. the Katie way. Um, I mean, I was worried because I sent my resume to him and I didn't hear nothing back for like a month or two. And I'm like, and then when I finally heard something back, I was like, well, even if I'm a backup plan, I'll go. No, nah, I'm just playing. I don't yeah. know. You know, uh, I just... I wanted to learn that Katie way. I will say this, and this is no respect to anywhere I've been. Katie Pato changed the trajectory of my career. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and not because of the winning or anything, but because of the professionalism and how you do things, uh, the expectations you have, that was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And this parallels to kind of what coach Aheda said on his episode when he went down to clear Springs and it's coach daily, I believe the head coach down there, also a Katie descendant. And he, he mm -hmm. said the same thing. He was like, Hey, I was at Ridge point. It was very, very high level. I, I learned a lot just like you did at Marshall. But then he, he kind of said a similar thing when he got to clear Springs, it was like almost like one more level unlocked uh, of detail. Mm -hmm. And so is that kind of what, what you saw is that, that when first of all, I love this. It's almost like a buffet, what you've been able to do. I mean, you're kind of learning something from, from greats, like heavy hitters in our industry, like James Williams and then BJ got, you're like just taking piece from piece in these powerful programs. But what, what was it? So you, when you said something was unlocked in you, was it the detail or what, what specifically did you see at Payto that, that really helped your trajectory? The attention to detail, yeah. um, how to manage people, uh, correctly, uh, how to deal with different personalities. Yeah. You know, and, and honestly, how to have how to honestly how to have faith in your program. You know, um, it, it's funny because, you know, I, I don't I didn't, I didn't see myself as a big name and coach God hires me. You know, we had a linebackers coach who came from Northbrook. Yeah. You know, we had a D line. Another D line coach came from Cy Ridge. You know, Cy Ridge was winning at the time. Yeah. Sure, yeah. But, you know, uh had another coach came from Lufkin, had another, you know, when they started the program, had another coach came from Aldine MacArthur. Yep. Had another coach come from a middle school in Katy. Had another coach come from Houston Westside. 
you know, you know, yeah. I mean, had a coach come from A Leaf Taylor, you know, Hebron in in Arlington, in Dallas. Uh Hebron, I mean, Katie Taylor, I mean, guys from all over. Yeah. And he just he formed a staff. And it was, it's almost like we all forgot everywhere we've been and we're wired that way you know incredible it took me a year but it, it and i say it took me a few months to be wired that way to where you know he always said he said a phrase in my in my exit interview uh for my first year you know little things that i had to improve on he said a phrase is you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know mm. but now that you know what you didn't know you're responsible for that love you know it. wow and, yeah, and, I love that. And that just was powerful to me because there's little things he maybe could have ripped me on, but he said, you didn't know. But this time next year, you now know. So don't make the same mistake twice. Man, everybody listening, y'all, take that in. What a great way to handle exit interviews. Seriously, like what, what a great way. And the fact that you remember specific things that he said in that interview, it's just showing me the level of mutual respect, obviously first between both y'all, but just the level, I don't know, his communication skills are obviously off the charts that you're you're remembering all these little these little nuggets from your exit interview. So, you know, when you were there, I got to ask, so, you know, with Coach Garza, who's a a friend of the show, you know, a team player alum, you you two know your way around a weight room, right? I mean, I know know, she's really into the Olympic weightlifting, the CrossFit and stuff, but watching you on social media, man, you are still throwing around like 400 on bench and you're squatting probably five, 600. I mean, do, do you still do that to this day or are you starting to sl- uh, back off a little bit? Oh man, I'm starting to slow down, man. Yeah. Uh, I think all that heavyweight has caught up to me joint joint wise. Sure. Yep. Uh, but you know, I still throw some weight around, but now it's more about just maintaining, you know, it's, yeah, I've had my fun. I say, I don't, yeah. I don't need to impress anybody anymore. I've, I've had my fun. So now it's kind of, you know, just maintenance. Sure. 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 So your next stop uh, is Pasadena Adobe. And Kevin Bernithi was the head coach there. Little fun story on Coach. Uh, and I'm, am I pronouncing that right, Bernithi? Yeah. Yep. A little fun story on Coach Bernithi. When I was a senior in high school, I got picked for that Say No to Drugs poster in the spring of 2001. So we went to Rice Stadium. And so I still have that poster up in my weight room, my garage. You know, and I, was, I was looking at it one day, just trying to see, like, I wonder if anybody from my high school class went on to be coaches. And sure enough, there's Coach Bernithi from G-Ball, representing Galveston Ball. And now, uh, yep. So he was the head coach at Pasadena Adobe. I believe now he's at LaPorte, I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. So what was your experience there at, at Adobe? I mean, what was it like working under coach Bernithi? So the pandemic changed some things for me. You know, I didn't really have a desire to really leave Pato. You know, I was driving 50 minutes to get there, Wow. but yeah. I mean, it was worth it for me. Um, but the pandemic changed things. You know, I spent more time with my daughter I spent more time with my wife to where I was like, you know what? I'm really missing out on a lot of things. Yeah, sure. And, you know, seeing people, you know, whatever, whatever anybody believes, I respect what people believe, but seeing people pass away so suddenly from, it's like, yeah. you can, can never know what can happen. Yeah. So I made the choice, you know, I wanted to get closer to home and, you know, there were some things that had to happen in between, you know, I thought I was going home to Galena Park you know, and then oh, okay. it just fell through. Yeah. It yeah, fell yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And nobody's fault. Just, yeah. you know, how it works with teaching fields sure. and everything. Yeah. And, 
Uh, ended up, you know, Coach Bernicki's been one of my best friends because he was on that staff at LaPorte when I volunteered in college. So it all came full circle. Wow, okay. It all yeah. came full circle. He's been one of my best friends since that time. You know, we literally text or talk every day. Uh, he actually called me while I'm doing while I'm doing the show. <laughs> I just sent him the voice of him. Yeah. Uh, he said, come over here with me, man. Come help me. Come help me keep doing good things here. And, uh, you know, we won dis- two district title, a district title with him at, La- at LaPorte together. When he was the O-line coach, I was just the filmer in the top deck. Yeah. And uh, we, won a, we won a district championship together at Dobie. Uh, it was an interesting experience because I had never worked for a boss who I previously had, like, friendships with. Sure, yeah. So it was a different dynamic because – what do I bring up? What don't I bring up from our private lives as friends? You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think he battled that too sometimes. You know, sure. what do we bring up? What inside jokes? You know, right, right, whatever. right. But it was it was awesome because I saw the way he just commanded respect. I saw how he had grown through his career, and I just remembered when he was an O line coach at Laporte to being the head coach at Adobe, and I'm like, you're so different from whenever we first met professionally you know he i saw him as a friend change but professionally i'm like you're just you're a different guy it's it's awesome like you know and not to say it was bad it's just the progression to see like like how you change based on your experiences and that's great right like we can all keep growing you know even Mm -hmm. Even if you're not happy where you're at your present point in your career, like it's not, that's not the end of the story for you. Right. And I mean, you brought up OG Fagan. That was what a great example of someone who was so qualified and just kind of got passed over a time or two, time or two, time or two coach Amarantos yourself. You, you were, you were looking, you know, you were trying to, to find that right spot for you. Then it didn't work out until you got to Chavez, right? That, that was your next stop. But one, one last question I wanted to ask you before we move on from Dobie. Did what you saw there at Dobie, did that have any impact on, on you be- getting Rayburn? Like, did, did you see something that you, you just really liked being in PISD or, or was there any impact um, there as far as Dobie and Rayburn, any connection at all? The connection I would say, and that came to play later down the road, you know, just a year later, yeah. <laughs> uh, the district, the way they treated me, you liked, yeah. the way they treated me just being new. Um, I never felt like a stranger here. Yeah. I never did. And I never really had that. You know, yeah. you know, KDISD was close, you know, where I never, I didn't feel like a straight, but this just felt like, it felt like it's somewhere I belonged. Yeah. It felt okay. Like, it felt like home. That's awesome. So then, but after, okay. So after the success, winning the district championship at Dobie, you get your first shot at, at being, becoming a head coach, which this was your dream. You wanted to do it, you know, at a young age. So what were you mid, mid thirties or 32, 32. So yeah, you, <laughs> you're real young. Yeah. 32. 32. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I was in a similar situation at Aldine, right? I was, I was young too. And it's, it's not easy. I look back on it now. And like I said, I, I, you know, like coach Ojeda where he's in his career, he's so many light years ahead of where I was when I took over the Mustangs, you know, I had to learn a lot of it on on the job and I'm sure you did too when you're over at Chavez. So for, for coaches that listen to this, a lot of coaches want to be young head coaches, right? What did you learn though? Cause I mean, I, I know from my experience, I can't wait to hear what you said, but when you, when you actually got in that chair, what, what was the, what was, what were some of the biggest things that you were like, wow, I wasn't expecting this or, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know this coming in. Oh, managing of coaches, managing personalities. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, 
can't make everybody happy. You can't make everybody happy. Uh, if, you, if you're trying to do that, you're going to constantly rack your brain and you're never going to get good sleep because you're worried about was the basketball coach happy that right. I gave the softball coach this or, you know, yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah. You're never going to make everybody happy. Be firm. Be firm in what you want to do because at the end of the day, it's your name on it. You know, uh, make sure you hire coaches that have the same expectation as you, but also make sure you hire coaches that you trust. You know, that's a big thing where, you know, many football coaches have the hat of athletic coordinator and you're pulled out of, you know, practice or you're pulled out of, you know, meetings and such to go do your athletic coordinator duties. Well, I got to be able to trust that my coaching staff, one, is not going to say something that comes back on us, say something they shouldn't say. Two, make sure they treat the kids right. And three, make sure they do what, what I asked them to do. Um, you know, I've been blessed that I have a guy who's like that for me, you know, that I truly trust. Yeah. But uh, I know not everybody has has that, you know. Um, but what I learned was do it your way. Make sure that you're firm on what you want to do. And the third one is have fun still have fun. Don't lose, don't lose sight of that. It's still fun. It gets stressful, but the way I've looked at this profession and, and the way I've moved around, you know, I think it's stressful for guys that get head jobs and maybe hadn't moved around much, you know, you're always going to have people leave, whether it's good or bad. I was never unhappy truly anywhere I was at. And I still, yeah. leave. you know, because yeah. I wanted to explore, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. There's sometimes it's not what you do. It's not that it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's just people are gonna move or people are gonna stay, or it just I, happens. I love that about your journey, man. Like you were kind of just putting tools in your toolkit. You know, yes. it, it was all by choice. You're choosing, handpicking which situations you want to go with. Cause like I want to take a little bit of this from Coach Williams. I want to take a little bit of this from Coach God. I want to take a little bit of this from Coach Bernithi. You know, so I think that's really cool, but I I, I can relate. So for any young coach to hear wanting to be a, your dream to be a head coach like you and I both had that same dream I found for me the management of people especially you know you're, you're not just managing football coaches you're managing the other sport coaches it wasn't for me I felt like I hit my pinnacle in my career when I was a defensive coordinator when I was at Rich Point professionally for me that's where I was at my best and I loved Aldine High School I mean I, I coach ahead of knows the way I had to talk about it and describe it and still love it to this day I loved it there but the role I think wasn't the best use of my talents. And so for that reason, I decided, you know, we need new leadership here to get us going in the right direction, get Aldine back to where we need to be. And so that's why I stepped back and I, I'm in a, I, I work a day job, but I'm still very tightly wound with athletics through broadcasting or shows like this. Cause I have so many friends that I want to support, you know, like yourself, but any last gems, cause I, I agree with you hundred percent. The hardest part that people got to realize when they step in that seat is the management of people, any other, any other last words of advice you can give on the, the athletic coordinator hat and not, not the football, but the other sports, like how, how for a young coach to, to have the best relationships with your other sport coaches. Learn to be comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations, right? Sure. You're going to be put in a spot where you might not have the answer right there. Sometimes it's better to say, you know what, I'm going to look that up and I'll get with you yep. rather than give them a, a, a made up answer or something you think they want to hear. And now that's the expectation. Yeah, that's the expectation. And be like, well, you said this. Well, I wasn't sure then. You know, just tell them you weren't sure. And tell them okay. you're gonna figure it out. Yep. You know, be honest. Be honest. Last thing about Chavez, you know, I just I love you know following you on social media and just seeing like just your your love for the school just bleeds through. 
and it hasn't stopped. I mean, I'm by you bowl, you know, players that are no longer players in your program. You're still, you're still just so excited when they have success. So can you just describe how, how important that was to help you? I mean, you, you described it at Austin. You loved on the kids. I think back to coach ahead at Sharpstown. You see it like you, you, you're the same. You both came into the program. You infused love and excitement into it and celebrating when the kids had success. So how just, I just want to hear your perspective from Chavez, the relationships you're able to develop with your kids and, and what that did for them in the program. You know, like I always tell my coaches, you know, now I say this, been at Chavez and been at Rayburn, you know, we never want to talk. I don't, I don't believe, because I've been part of staffs that talk bad about the previous regime. Mm. That's all they do, I guess, to make themselves feel better about what they're doing. I, I don't do that, but I just tell the truth of what I saw. Yeah. And when myself and Coach Balderas and Coach Hernandez, who's now the head coach at Chavez, when we would show up in the spring, you know, in May to kind of start moving in and stuff, you couldn't find a coach in sight. You couldn't find any kids. It was athletic period and no kids were down in the weight room. Yeah. It was kind of a free for all. And I just told our guys, I said, guys, I said, trust me, it's, it's going to come together. It's going to come together. And I'm, I'm seeing two guys here who just left humble high school. They had a nice run two years before or the year before. And I'm thinking, God, I hope they sign their contracts already. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, summertime came, I got numbers, cell phone numbers, you know, started a sports U. sports U has been big sports. You helped build the Chavez program. There's my NIL deal sports. You let's go. I need to reach out to them and get them to sponsor the podcast, man. More coaches maybe need this sports. You. Yeah. So tell us more. I mean, it wasn't, I'm assuming it's just a way you can like communicate with everyone. I, we didn't I quite have it when I was. Yeah. 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 Mass messaging, you know, I couldn't reach every kid to get their cell phone. So I started sports you and kids were just passing out that code. Like it was Skittles, you love know? It. So love it. You love know, it. we showed up to summer workouts, kids start showing up. They look skeptical. We started feeding our kids, you know, yeah. yeah, you know, getting to know them and things like that, you know, seven on seven. And it, they just, they were hungry for people to care about them Yeah, like that. You know, they were hungry for people to push them. You know, the biggest comment I would always get from my Chavez kids were, I never had a coach care for me the way you care for me, you know, and, and, and I, and I, and I take that to heart because it, it's something that's simple. They're not talking about X's and O's. They're not talking about how I push them in the weight room. They just talk about, like, you genuinely ask me how my day's going. You genuinely, am I hungry, you know, or how my parents doing, you know, or what's whatever. And that's something that always stuck with me. You know, those Chavez kids would always bring, you know, you know, they would make that, you know, and it was, it, and it wasn't easy. You know, it was a lot of days, those same kids that make you feel good, make you mad that afternoon because mm -hmm. they're either trying to skip a workout, yep. you know, yep. but it, it was a defense mechanism. I believe Yeah, it was, I can't get too comfortable with this guy, um, you know, just because I, you know, it was just one of those defense mechanisms where it was just, uh, how do I say? They, they wanted to make sure I really cared about them before they gave all the way in, you know, and, and, and we lost some in the off season, you know, it wasn't all roses. Yeah. Two of our best athletes, two of our best athletes did not want to be part of off season because in the past they could just show up in August and play football and we made them lift, we made them run and, 
you know, the mistake that I made, and this is any coach that takes an inner city job. Okay. Yeah. Don't assume that those kids know how off season is supposed to be run. Don't assume that those kids know that you're supposed to lift weights. You're supposed to run, you're supposed to do mat room or you're supposed yeah. to. Yeah. When I talked to one of my kids who transferred out, he, you know, he was transferring out the day before I knew he was leaving, called him in my office and we talked. And I said, I said, what was bothering you? And, and, you know, I knew it was transferring for athletic purposes, but, you know, I said, you know, the kid don't want to be here, you know, go find your thing, you yeah. know, because we're going to move on. And, uh, but I wanted to hear him out and talk and he was crying in the office and he said, you know, I know you love me and everything. I just, you know, I just can't give you what you want. That's what he told me. He go, I just want to play football. I don't want to lift weights. I don't want to run. And I said, do you know, this is what 90%, 99% of Texas does. Yeah. And he didn't know that he didn't, he thought it was, he thought I was being a jerk that yeah. I was asking yeah. too yeah. much when in actuality, we were not double blocked. We did not have athletics every day. We only lifted Tuesday and Thursdays. Wow. Okay. Said, yeah. Son, wherever you go outside of HISD or wherever you go, you're going to lift every day. Yeah. He said, so I'm even asking you to just give me the minimum. And he just was astonished. Well, he goes to his new program. It's in Fort Bend. <laughs> he goes to his new program and he doesn't even last a week. Right. Yeah. Gets out of athletic period. Now he's, you know, from what I've heard, he's trying to come back to Chavez. You know, it's yeah, sure. You know, do I do I have any ill will towards that kid? No, he just didn't know what he didn't know. And once I educated him and he went and found out, now he knows, you know. Coach, these stories, man, honestly, I don't want to say I love to hear it because I, I hate to hear that. that 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 conversation had happened and the young man made the wrong choice. I don't love to hear that, but I, I'm just so interested in hearing these stories. I don't want this podcast to ever be just a parade of district championship coaches and state championship coaches. Cause the reality is there are so many coaches out here dealing with situations like this. I remember coach Ojeda said when he showed up at Sharpstown, I think he said there was maybe seven kids in the bleachers his first day at athletic period. So something really similar to what you described. Yeah. We had 20. <laughs> Man, so you had, had, a, you had a bunch <laughs> compared to they had 20 in the whole program. We could at least fill the team that first day. Yeah. You know, yeah. we had 20. I it mean, was... can, so you speak, can you speak to it? Because you're, you're someone, obviously, I mean, you're, we're going to talk more about the Hispanic Texas High School Football Coaches Association later on in the show, but you, you, you're, you're a leader now. You're a leader in your profession, you know, and you've seen, you've had conversations like these that not every coach has to have. So, I mean, just any last thoughts? For, for coaches that are having to confront these kinds of situations, you know, in their communities, in their programs, any last thoughts of wisdom you, you can leave us with today? Um, what I would say is be patient, you know, and I thought it's hard to take from a guy who left after a year, but when I say be patient is it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a month or two. You know, I started to see the change. I started to see the change probably in February. February, March, I started to see the change where instead of having 10 to 15 guys late to athletics every day, we were down to one. Yep. We were down to one guy. And that guy is probably the most gifted athlete ever. Yeah. 
he just would tell me, coach, I'm here on time. I'm in the building. I said, but you're not locked in. Yeah. And every day I'm here in the building. You're not locked in. You know, he'd go give our towel pushes or whatever our reminders were. And he's like, coach, you know, it, it, I couldn't laugh because I was the disciplinarian for that. Or, you know, coach Hernandez and I. Yeah. But in my soul, I'm laughing because he is genuinely trying. But he's yeah. like, coach, coach, I got my routine. I get out of class. I go say hi to my girl. <laughs> and then I run my butt down here. Yeah. Coach, I make it on time. I say, you make it in the building on time. And, and, and you know, I go back and I laugh. He goes, well, coach, the way I was raised is as long as I'm walking in right on time. You know, and I was like, you know, and it goes back. And it's not to say it's wrong. He's technically, you know, he's, but yeah. it goes back to just what's instilled in you. You know, my dad used to teach me if you're 30 minutes early, you're on time. You're right. You know? I was like that too, man. Like some, some, I think back to some of the kids I've had that were the ones that tried to push that envelope. There were some, you know, yeah. kind of pain in your butt. There's some of the ones I actually yeah. love the most and they would just crack me up, you know, and, you know, I, I can, I can definitely relate, you know, there, but um, you know, the funny thing though, coach, I had no, I, you know, you, you said, you know, at the beginning, 15 kids were late, but like just the way that you publicize the program though, like I never would have guessed that. Cause you, I just, you did such a good job bragging on them on every success that they had. Like I used to love when you, you would you just show something from spring ball or, you know, or, you know, alignment challenge or things like that. So you were infusing them with positivity. And like you said, it, it could, it definitely was starting to bleed through. Now we're moving on to the present. Now the, the new chapter Describe to us after, you know, you achieved your dream, your dream, you become the head coach at, at, uh, at Chavez. How did Rayburn transpire? What was that whole process? Well, you know, for me, you know, like I said, we didn't have athletics every day at Chavez. Um, and as, I'm not going to use this to be a rag parade on anybody or anything right. like that. It was just some challenges that we had to face. Right. And I just I saw the Rayburn opening, which the domino effect was set in motion by one of my best friends, Coach Berniti, when he took the Laporte job and then Coach Stafford got uh, Doby, which opened up Rayburn. Uh, I just saw an opportunity to go somewhere not far from home. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere that I grew up around. You know, I have multiple family members that came to Rayburn, graduated from Rayburn. Uh, somewhere where they had just had some success, you know, uh, and somewhere where I felt at home in that district. Pasadena ISD was treating me great, you know. Um, it was hard. It was hard. Cause I even talked to my, my assistant head coach now at Rayburn, he was my assistant head coach at Chavez. And we had a conversation and he's like, man, if you feel it in your heart, go for it. And that's, I prayed on it. Talked to my wife, talked to my dad. You know, my dad was just like, you do what you want to do. You've always kind of gone to the beat of your own drum you go what you think is right. I said, he goes, how do you feel? I said, man, I just, I said, I feel like Rayburn's a forever home. You know, it's just a forever home where you can build. And uh, sure enough, I, I just applied. I just applied, you know, I guess things were just set in motion and happened and I got an interview and it all happened pretty quick, pretty fast. Was that, and I mean, I know, I know I could tell you, you wrestled with the decision because I, I could see the, the love you had for your kids at Chavez. So I can only imagine how difficult was it 
when you had to give that speech, you know, announcing that you were leaving, like how, how, what was that, what was that day like? And, you know, just describe that. Cause like, I can, I could tell you're really wrestling with the decision because your love, you know, for your kids at Chavez. It was tears. It yeah. was tears for me and tears from them. Yeah. Uh, kids that I wouldn't expect to cry, cried. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was hard. I got a lot of calls up until midnight from kids, you know, cause it, I told them and it came out on social media about, four hours later, three hours later. Yeah. And it kind of blew up social media a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but my kids were, one of my kids said, coach, I just want one, seven o'clock hit. I just knew to stay off Twitter. It was going to hurt me too much. Yeah. And uh, it, it sucks. You know, it sucks leaving kids that invest in you and everything. It's hard, you know, but you know, I, I see it as there's a new mountain to climb and a new challenge yeah. to climb with kids who, equally here need that same love yep need that same you know fire from you um you know i still you know a lot some of my chavez kids and i I understand a lot of them are kids you know they've probably had some family uh or life experiences where it's hardened them a little bit about this stuff uh you know they, they don't they won't talk to me anymore and i get it but there's a lot of them that still do yeah um you know like i told them i just want i want y'all to go nine and one the one game is against us week four. That's what I wanted to talk about. I mean, okay. From what, I, from what I heard you say, it sounds like one of your assistants is now the head coach at Chavez. My offensive coordinator. Wow. Okay. Cause that was going to be my question. Cause I did my homework and I looked up the schedule and I saw September 16th, I believe you got them. <laughs> so, and it's their homecoming. Oh my God, coach. Oh my God. It's, I had no idea. This so is like made for TV. This is made for, was this, so was this on the schedule or do you already set this up when you were still at no way? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny by, by the way things worked out just based on the home games that we had based on the home games that we had. And in the timeline, that was the only game that was logical for homecoming. Wow. Incredible. So, you know, that's great. Co- hey, coach, th- this is great. I, I, I'm, I might, wherever I'm broadcasting, I'm going to ask for the night off so I can come watch your game. Cause yeah, hey, that's pretty cool. If you, if you can make it, that's going to be a made for TV moment. Or is Matt step call Matt step. That might be the game yeah. you want to go to Matt. Well, step. I, yeah. Stephanie, that needs to be the, the, the game of the week across the state. Honestly, like that is just so many cool storylines, especially, especially cause it's one of your guys that took over. Mm-hmm. you know, obviously someone you, you trusted as your offensive coordinator. So there's just going to be so much emotion in that game. Um, like, you know, I, I can't wait. So that's, I did not know all that. So that's good. But speaking of one rivalry, we got that rivalry growing between Chavez and Rayburn, but the, the main rivalry, as we know, I learned this from coach Ojeda. I've always known this, but coach Ojeda verified this uh, coach. Solis Martinez, another team player alum verified this. The rivalry is Rayburn and Pasadena. That is the rivalry. So let I, you know, you're not from, I mean, you, you're from Galena park, so you haven't lived it, but do you, do you kind of know what you're stepping into on, on between the, when the blue and the green uh, meet it up uh, next season? I know. And I don't know. Okay. I know. And I don't know. You can read about it all you want till you experience it until you experience it. It's, it's going to be interesting. I know it's a big, big deal. Yeah. I got, you know, one of my best friends, he's the head coach of Seven Lakes. His name's Jimmy Hammond. I don't know if you've ever come across him in the coaching circles, but he he was the quarterback at Rayburn. 
I think maybe mm -hmm. right, like right around when Cirillo was quarterback of Pasadena, I think there was like one year difference between them, but um, so I'm a big Raven fan. Jimmy's one of my best friends ever. So I'm out, I'm always, you know, pulling for you guys. And then another guy in that district, Patrick Longstreet is a good friend of mine. I was in his wedding. He's the head coach of Soho. So I love that district out there in Pasadena, man. A lot of good friends uh, coaching out there. So I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really excited to see it. Now I got to share one of my memories though, coach. When I was at Aldine, we played Pasadena. And we went all the way out there to Veterans Memorial Stadium. We got an early pick six to go up seven, nothing. And then like a 90 minute lightning delay. I mean, maybe at least 90 minutes, maybe two hour lightning delay. And there was this kid, Stanley Hackett. We could not stop him for the rest of the night. We dropped that ball game. But I'm just curious, now that you've kind of been able to settle in, I'm just always wondering what happened to him. So I'm, I just was curious to talk to you, like going in the field house. I mean, do, do the other coaches, older coach you've met there, like do they remember Stanley Hackett or their pictures? Or, or do you know anything about what Stanley's doing now? Oh, we only have one coach still here that was here during his time. It's kind of like his name's unspoken. It, it just kind of, uh, okay. I don't know what exactly happened I or okay. what, but I think everybody that was connected with him is gone. Yeah. So there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of talk about him. That's, you know, there's nothing bad. It's yeah. just time moves on. Know. That was a while ago. Yeah. That was like 2016 or whatever. But yeah, I just remember him as a phenomenal, uh, you know. Oh, he was awesome. Player. He was awesome. He was awesome. I know Coach Soria coached him in Little Leagues. We we what? followed his game. So yeah, he was awesome. He was an awesome player. Oh man. So this is fun. That's like I mean, my, my favorite part is gonna be that that Chavez Rayburn game. That just yeah. too many. Too many connections there, so so well, excited we just, for that. We just we we just played them in seven on seven two weeks ago. Ooh man, now seven on seven, you know that can get intense because there's no, you know, oh, it it was heated. I had to stop the game. I stopped the game in the middle, and, and it wasn't heated like towards me or anything. It was yeah. just it was starting. To, I could see the direction it was going, and I said, "We're just gonna save this for week four. <laughs> man, I but get it though. It man, wasn't nothing disrespectful or bad, but I just saw where it could have gone yeah. on a couple plays. I was like, you know what? We're good. Let's just end it. We're good. You know, to me, though, what that says, though, Serge, like those, those kids at Chavez, like they're so charged up because they love you. They're hurt. You know, they're hurt. If you were just a coach that came in for a year and didn't make no connections, it wouldn't there wouldn't be any feeling there. They're like, all right, he's gone, whatever. You know, he's coaching a new team. But like you can feel that. And then now I can tell your kids at Rayburn, they want to make you proud, too, <laughs> after they've known you for a short period. So like that's natural, man. And uh, yeah, you made the right call to keep everybody safe, but whoo, Lord have mercy, September 16th is it can't get here soon enough, man. That's gonna that's gonna be a fun night. Um, one thing I always ask all my guests, coach, and we're getting we're kind of getting towards the end of the show here. I love all the coaching stuff we've talked about. I love it, but I also hope that parents listen to our show. And you know, now that I'm I'm off of the sideline, I'm in the I'm in the press box, I'm broadcasting. Sometimes I see what I would call bad parent behavior. And I I do this show because I think there's so much great stuff about athletics. Like I think athletics should just be an all positive place because there's so many good things happening. But sometimes I see people, parents that, that uh, have to drag negativity into it by what they're yelling out at the stands or questioning the coach or yelling at officials or, you know, like, so my, my question is you're a dad. I see you on social media. You're so proud of your little girl and her softball and everything. And, you know, I just became a dad. So I mean, I'll, I'll feel this soon. I, I know parents, they love their kids. That's why sometimes some of them act out, but what advice could, would you give to a parent to allow their kid to have the best possible athletic experience? Because sometimes when these parents are doing bad stuff in the stands, I don't think, I think it's taken away from their kid's experience. So what advice would you give to a parent to, to maximize their kid's athletic experience? 
Well, you know, it's interesting sitting in the bleachers now when I watch my daughter play and I yeah. hear parents, and it's literally, I think parents don't know, especially if you're not in the athletics world. If all you knew about athletics was when you were a kid, you don't know how to turn off being a fan of a pro team or college team and being a, fa a fan of your kid. You don't know how to turn that off. Yeah. So I've heard parents like, oh, man, this this girl's up to bat. This little eight-year-old, nine-year-old, she strikes out. This is an easy out. She sucks, you know, whatever, one out. And, I, and I'll turn, and, and I, I'm not afraid to make the comment. I'll say it respectfully. I say, guys, these are kids, man. Just let Thank them you. have fun. Thank you. They're kids. I said, they're learning, you know. Uh, my daughter played against a team, and, and maybe I got a little more vocal than I should have. Uh, my daughter played against a team in North Shore, Little League team, where uh, she played against them, and about five of their girls would never get hits, so they just had them stick the bat out on the pitching machine and hope they got a hit. And I just yelled at the coach. I said, Coach, where is this? What What, what are you doing about development? I was like, you're literally asking them to not even learn how to time a ball, swing a bat, just so you can get some cheap hits. And he he just said, if you want to be, you know, if you want to be the coach, I said, Coach, I'm just talking to you about development. Parents pay 50, 60, 80, 90 bucks. Mm -hmm. I said, for their kid to get developed. I said, what are you doing here? And he didn't say much. And, and I talked to him after again. I said, look, I didn't mean to disrespect you. I said, but I'm a high school coach. I said, I'm not saying I'm a pro coach or anything. I said, but who cares if you win this Little League game? Absolutely. I said, but that kid, you're not doing that kid any favors, you know? So, and we talked about it and, uh, you know, I, I you know, I'm, there's some parents on my daughter's team that'll yell, you know, you know, yell balls and strikes, you know, they'll yell outs or whatever. And, and I just kind of sit there and I'll just say, guys, they're kids, man. Yeah. Literally yes. nobody's going to care what this score was in a week or what yeah. the score was in five years, 10, right. you know? Right. I was like, who cares? I was like, who yeah. honestly cares? You know, and, and, and maybe, you know, I'm not saying that it, that lacks comp you know competitive nature, but it, it, nobody cares. It's 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 yeah. a development. It's a development league, you know. So you know, I just tell parents, man, let your kids be kids. Don't live your dreams through them. You know, I, I get caught up sometimes. I get in my daughter, and then I got to catch myself. You know, it's like, hey, I had my time. This is her time. Don't ruin it for her. You know, don't ruin it for your kids. Uh, you know, they want to have fun. They they literally, honestly, when I talk to my daughter, like my daughter made an awesome play at the plate. First time she's a catcher, first time, first year catching. They throw the ball to her from the pitch from second base. She gets set up at home and freaking looks like Yadier Molina making the tag. Yeah. And, you know, she goes into the dugout. Everybody's pumped. So after the game, I said, you enjoy it? She goes, yeah, we were making bubbles with the, with the, with the gum in the dugout. And I was like, that wasn't what I was talking about. Oh. You know, my daughter didn't even realize what she did, you know, yeah. like, and she's nine. She's just like, God, she's like, dad, I, I just had fun, you know? So I just let her have fun. Now I just tell her, Hey, there is such thing as winners. You know, there's first place. You always want to go for first place, but if you don't get there, there's a chance to get it again, you know? So, you know, I just, I just let her have fun. That's awesome, Coach. And I, I want to thank you for being respectful, but also calling out some of that bad behavior. And maybe what you did talking to that coach, maybe at the end of the day, he went home, he drove home, he said, you know, that, that guy's right. 
And so maybe now he's running a better practice. And so if, if that's the case, and thank God you did that, you know, and I, I think everybody will, will, will be better in the end. One thing I want to talk about, one thing that Coach Ojeda shared with me when he came on the show, he said his entire career playing through Pasadena, he saw one Hispanic coach, one coach that looked like him. And it was, I think he said it was a freshman coach, maybe that was only there for a, a short period of time. And I think back to, you know, when I was at Aldine, a lot of my players are Hispanic and I didn't see a lot of them after they finished on pursuing a career as a coach or an educator. You know, they went off and did other things. You told me the story when you got your first job, it was in Baytown and you're out there, you went to HR to sign your contract. You waited for an hour and finally HR lady comes out and says, Mr. Gonzalez, I've been waiting for you. You told her you'd been there for an hour. It turned out the front desk lady thought you were there for a maintenance job rather than a teacher coach job. I think we have a representation issue. You know, I think there's a big representation issue, you know, um, from what, from what coach Ojeda described, what coach Garza describes, you know, being a a trendsetter as, as, as a minority and as a woman in the strength and conditioning field, like letting people not pigeonhole us into certain roles based upon our race or, you know, our, our sex or things like that. So I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned that your experience in that office at Baytown was a big part of your mission now with the Hispanic Texas high school football coaches association. So I have two questions for you. Number one, did you have a similar experience as to coach Ojeda from your coaches? It's, I know you had coach Amarantos and you, you had some others, but I'm curious from your high school experience, did, was there diversity on your staff? And then secondly, just talk more about that experience and in your involvement in the uh, Texas Hispanic high school coaches football association. I would say, you know, coach Ojeda's right. You know, I didn't really have a lot of Hispanic coaches yeah. growing up or even yeah. in high school um, that looked like me. But, you know, like he said, it was like a freshman coach for him at Pasadena. I didn't have much, but I had the right one, if that makes yes. sense. Yeah. Uh, coach Martinez at Baytown. You know, I have a picture of him and I here my senior year for when I was top 5% of my class. That's awesome. They, uh, they make you pick an educator who changed your life or changed your trajectory in school. Uh, we had two. His best friend was actually on staff, too. Coach T, he's the head baseball coach at GP still to this day. Wow. He took over after Martinez left. Martinez was our head baseball slash defensive line coach. Uh, he just he just instilled in me everything that I believe in and the way I talk to kids, the way I love on kids. You know, um, I had the right one. I had the right one. Yeah. Uh, he made me want to be a coach. And what's funny is it was just the parallels how I'm connected to this man. You know, his nephew was in my grade. His sister's son was in my grade. And at the time, I was still living in North Shore. His nephew was living over there in Chavez zone. His nephew was supposed to go to Chavez. (laughs) So we never told anybody where we live. (laughs) And we were, like, very discreet. So one day he was, like, I was just kind of waiting for my mom. And he was waiting for his mom. And they get there. And uh, he was waiting for his dad to pick him up. So they get there. And they just start talking. And our parents start talking and they get comfortable with each other. And then, and then my mom tells me, she's like, Oh yeah, you know, Trey doesn't live over here either. And I was like, really? So then we get to, we were in algebra one pre AP and we start talking and I was like, Hey, I heard you don't live over here. He goes, nobody's supposed to know that. And I was like, <laughs> don't worry, dude. I, I have the same secret. And we just became best, like yeah, best yeah. friends after that. But I didn't know coach Martinez was his uncle. They hit it so well. I didn't know to our sophomore year. Yeah. And I went to his house, I would go to his house and everything. And then finally, where I found out was going into sophomore year, 
I was on the fringe of varsity JV still. And I go to I go to his house to hang out. Well, that's his mom, his his uncle is Lee Martinez. I see him at a family party and he's just like, You didn't see me here? I was like, Coach, I, yeah. I know the deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just how I'm connected to that man where man, he just taught me how to be the right coach at the right time for many kids. You know, uh he was tough. He was tough. I remember my first varsity practice. You know, he was like, nobody's nobody wants a five foot five defensive tackle. He said, I fought for you to get up here and this is how you repay me. I, I jumped off sides. Yeah. He goes, jump off sides again and I'll throw your behind back on JV so fast. And, and he used some other words and I was like, oh, sh- I, ne- yeah. I never jumped off sides again. Never jumped off sides again. That's so, awesome. Uh, what, what about the organization, though? So now, now that now that you're a head coach. And you're trying to pay it forward. What Coach Martinez taught you? What? Why is the Why is the organization so important? Oh, it's it's kind of brought it to light, you know that we that we don't have that representation. Yeah. You know, I think to this day we still don't have it in in a lot of areas that matter. You know, big. You know, when I talk about you know just officer positions in certain organizations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean. I'm not even talking about just our state one, THS. I'm not even talking about, I'm talking about all, you know, every entity has their own, like GHFCA and different things like that. I mean, I'm, I look around sometimes and I go to other, you know, and not to call them out, but I'm just like, man, you know, you got a lot of good Hispanic candidates and none of us seem to ever get put up for officer jobs, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I don't think it's on purpose. I just think it's lack of awareness sometimes of what the room looks like, you know? Right. Uh, but I don't think they're doing it on purpose. It just kind of, it's something new, you know, because you have to be a head coach to be in those officer positions, sure. especially like right. THSCA, GHFCA. Yeah. Well, now the movement is happening where there's a lot of Hispanic head coaches now. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It, it wasn't done purposely. Yeah. It's not done purposely. There's just criterias that now many Hispanic coaches are meeting those criteria now. Yes. So now it's kind of like, all right, there's no excuses now. Let's knock down the door and let's make things happen. You're breaking down yeah. those barriers. And I, I, I personally think it's so important because kind of in Cirillo described this, Aislinn described this, like, I just think it's important to, to see someone that looks like you staying in the game of football. And so I think that, that I, I can only imagine, you know, I can only imagine for, for your players that are Hispanic, just to see someone like you be so successful in your assistance. And, you know, I just think it's motivational and inspiring for them that they can do it. So kudos. Yeah. yeah kudos. Kudos. to you know, I mean, you know, I never realized it, but I, I, somebody mentioned it to me last week. I'm the first Hispanic head coach at Rayburn. Yeah. You know, yep. it, it's, it, it, you know, I don't, I don't look at it that way, right. you know, yeah. but yeah it's a big deal to some people and it's a big deal, you know, just in the way some people view our program, you know, and uh, I think for us, the organization is important because it's, it's going to keep the lifeline of bringing in young Hispanic coaches. You know, I think a lot of young guys are pumped. You know, there's like three guys that are, that are on Twitter active that aren't even coaches. They're in college right now. Yeah. And they say our organization has made them want to coach. It looks like we have fun. And I said, don't get it, don't get it wrong coaching is fun I said but you know this is just social media and we have a social once a year I said don't don't just get in for the social once a year you know and uh you know it's fun to see the change that you're that you're enacting right now 
I will say I went to that social last year at coaching school and and San Antonio. I had a hell of a time. So yeah, you, you guys know how to throw a good party, but you're right. That's yeah. just that's one well, nice you know, celebration. <laughs> it's funny because I, I, I went to go eat lunch with a college coach and he said there was a couple colleges that were gonna have their socials on Monday and they changed them because they knew they didn't want to interfere with the Hispanic Texas High School Football Coaches Association. Yeah, uh, they they just felt like nobody would go to theirs, you know. And I said, well, that's probably true. Very true. I mean, I, I have a newborn. He's six weeks old, Serge. So it's like, I'm only going to stay Sunday night. And I have to get home to help. But if it were not for that, I would be staying Monday night and I would be there at that party with y'all. Because I mean, I guess I had a great time last time. Y'all y'all just first class. That's how I would describe it. The music, the food, the I mean, everything was just first class. And we had everyone had a great time that night. So thank you for all that. Let's get into the fun part, man. We talked a lot about coaching. Let's just get to know your sports interests, your rooting interests. You said, although you are very critical, and I, I'm, we're, we're Facebook friends, I love watching your, your takes and all the different Houston sports. You said you're very critical of your teams, but you're a Houston sports franchise guy through and through. Yeah, I'm curious, you can know. you rank them? Like, which one? Like, you all, you comment on all of them. So I'm curious, like, which ones do you really love? As an adult, it's the Astros. The Astros, you know, okay, yeah. As the Astros, as a kid, the Rockets were everything to me. Amen. Amen. I mean, but that goes with winning two titles in the 90s. Yep. I mean, the Rockets were like, I mean, I just watched the Rockets. Yeah. Bill Worrell, Calvin Murphy, do the show, Matt Bullard when he did it, you know, uh, or I think he still does. But like, I mean, I just watched the Rockets. You know, I, Matt Maloney was the guard for yep. us, you know. Oh, guys Matt like Maloney, that. yeah. Yeah, I mean – uh who else do we have chuck brown chucky brown Brown. uh i mean different guys you know that people will forget that i just remember i remember i mean the the freaking pajama uniform those are my favorite oh yeah yeah yeah. i like them i mean it was different you know but i mean i i love the throwbacks of the 90s but those were like a good alternate ones to still those are good alternate ones they should have never been our main ones i put it i'm with you i'm with they should have been our alternates you know, um, but growing up, it was the Rockets. It was the Astros. And then I, I didn't really grow up with the football team until yeah. sixth, seventh grade, because I was too young for the love you, love you yeah. blue years. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would lie to you if I remember any games. I don't, I don't right. even, I mean, yeah, I mean, I became a Dolphins fan because of Dan Marino in the 90s, okay. late 90s. And he was already getting close to being washed up, but I was a Dan Marino fan. Okay. I love Dan Marino. Did not know that. I did so, not know that about you. Okay, yeah, cool. I learned I, something new. You know, while when we didn't have Texans, I was loving the Dolphins. I was loving the Very Dolphins. Cool. Very, know? Cool. Very cool. I, I look, and you know what's crazy is I didn't love the Dolphins till the late 90s, mid late 90s. But I still remember looking up their history, Larry Zonka and all those yep. guys. You know, yep. I just I mean, I got entrenched with the Dolphin, you know, fandom. But when we got a team, I always said I root for my home team. Sure. You know, I tell people I have an interesting fact about me. Myself, my dad, and his best friend, Mr. Charlie, who's still alive to this day. He's older than my dad. He's about 10, 12 years older than my dad. My dad's 53. He's about 65, 66. Uh (laughs) Us three were kicked out of the Astrodome twice. Damn. Okay. You <laughs> we were escorted out of the Astrodome twice. What'd y'all do? First one, they're playing the St. Louis Cardinals in okay. El Central. Yeah. You know, 
well, there's fans in front of us that are wearing Cardinals gear. And this was in the heat of the race. Yeah. Well, Mr. Charlie was, he's the one that entrenched in me. You go for your hometown. Yeah. You root for your hometown. You root for your people, you know, whatever. And they were wearing Cardinals stuff. So he, he got, he had a few beverages, you know, mm-hmm. them and the peanuts right there at the Astrodome. Well, he uh he asked the the young he asked the the man that was in front of us. I still remember that I was like six years old, seven. It's funny how I remember this. He goes, Where are y'all from? He goes, Oh, we're from Houston. We're just big Mark McGuire fans. Oh. And he so it just was burning with him. So I guess I forget. I think the Cardinals hit a home run or something like that. He and they're cheering, and he goes, and he just lost it. He said some expletives that I can't repeat. Yeah. And said, I don't know how you're not you're from Houston and root for the Cardinals. Yeah. He goes, How are you? You were for your home team. He was berating them. It was so bad. Yeah. It was so bad. But I'm just sitting there laughing. But you know, I'm laughing because I'm like, why is he mad at these people? You know? But then I'm kind of taking it in, like, you should root for your home team. Why are you, you know, I, I always remember I watched that that uh clutch city video from from uh, the Rockets. And I told yeah. you I love the Rockets. Yeah. When Rudy T said when he got there in 92, everybody was wearing Bulls jerseys, Knicks yeah. jerseys in yeah. Houston. And he wanted to change that to Rockets jerseys, you know? Yeah. And, and it kind of just always stuck with me. You know, wear your home to be pro- – how dumb do you look wearing a Knicks jersey in Houston, you know, and rooting for the Knicks against Houston? I used to always tell people, they're not going to throw you a parade in Houston when the Cowboys win the championship or, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just one of those deals. And uh, so we got, we got escorted out of the Astrodome for that one. And the second one, <laughs> the second one, we got, we got behind the plate seats at the Astrodome. Oh. I don't know how we did it. Yeah. I don't know who my dad knew, but it was the giants in town. Oh, and Barry, yeah. Barry Bonds was up to bat on deck. And my mom, I call him Uncle Charlie, but he's my dad's best friend. He just, he loved the game of baseball. And he thought Barry Bonds was a cheater and respect right. didn't respect Barry Bonds. And he let him have it for two at-bats. I don't know. They just came and got us out of our seats. I guess Barry Bonds didn't like what he said. So. Yeah, yeah. So I tell people Barry Bonds kicked us out of the Astrodome. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh man, I love it. I love it. Yeah, so I'm I'm just a kid getting escorted out by security. So man, haven't you got had some heavy hitters there. Yet. You you were there in the in the middle of the steroid era, seeing yeah. Bonds and Maguire dropping bombs. And yeah, that's that's awesome. Man. Yeah. Well, hey, this yeah. is the point where I got to put you on the hot seat, Coach. So we are at the start bench cut portion of the show. That's brought to us by our good friends, as you know, at MVP Marketing Group, a turnkey marketing solution for schools. Check out their website. It's in the show notes. Uh, Hall of Fame, Denton Ryan, head football coach now and current AD. Joey Florence is a big fan of MVP Marketing Group. He's a, he uses their service. So check it out. You can give Mike Voglar, the CEO, a call. He'll explain to you what, what, uh, what he does. And if you like it, tell him Coach Kobo sent you. He's going to give you a team player podcast discount. So thank you for MVP Marketing Group for sponsoring this segment. All right, here we go. You're, you, you strike me, you're kind of like me. You're like a former lineman that thinks he was a hooper. You know, you're, you're kind of like, uh, you're kind of like Adam Ramirez, one of our, from Waltrip, who, who was our second guest and Marvin Nash, another guest is kind of a chubby kid, but love the Rockets, you know? So I'm going to start basketball. Let's start with a let's basketball go. edition. Let's go back to 94, 95 uh, basketball edition here. Let's do it uh, all H-Town edition, since I know you're a big Rockets fan. Start bench cut. 
I got my Clyde the Glide jersey here. I got my Drexler jersey because I know you're a U of H guy too. And, and, and Drexler went to uh, Sterling High School in HISD. So I got Clyde the Glide Drexler. Yep. Clyde the Glide Drexler, T-Mac, Tracy McGrady, and James Harden. So we're talking two guards here. We're talking three of the legendary two guards uh, in Rockets history. Start bench cut, Clyde the Glide, Tracy McGrady, James Harden. Now, start T-Mac. Okay. T-Mac. I, okay, I wasn't, I wasn't going to guess that one. Tell me why. Why T-Mac? I mean, he was instant offense. Instant. Yeah. I mean, look what he did to the Spurs in, what, 30 seconds or yeah. what was it? What was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, T-Mac was just an unfortunate circumstance where he just didn't have help around him sure. like that. Yeah. You know, he had he didn't get Yao till later, yeah. you know. Uh I'm gonna say bench Harden. Okay. Which means why am I cutting a Hall of Famer in Clyde Drexler? <laughs> That's funny. You didn't say I, I which, thought, yeah. Go ahead. You didn't say which version of Clyde Drexler. We got the old version. Uh well. The young version in Portland, I start. That's what I wanted. Clyde okay, because this is my fault. I'm a bad host. I didn't set the ground rules. It's always at their peak. At their peak. So t- okay. Give me Portland Clyde. But, so you- but I did that. I did that on purpose because I do that to everybody. I'm like, you better give me specifics. Yeah, I like it, man. You're a good negotiator. You should have been a lawyer. <laughs> no, I'm glad you're a football so coach. If we're going prime, if we're going prime out of those three, Clyde's the only one that led a franchise to a finals. That a finals yep. appearance. See, Clyde that's what I thought is, you were gonna say. Okay. Yep. Clyde, bench T Mac off the bench, cut Harden. Now, let me ask you this. You're a Rockets fan. I know there's a lot of – I mean, a lot of people love James Harden. He's here for a long time. But there's also a segment of Rockets fans that really didn't or don't like James Harden. Which camp are you in? I'm on the thank you for what you gave us for all those years. And I appreciate it. But it was time to move on. Yeah. It was time to move on. You just were not that guy. You weren't that guy. And you were great for what you were. And it's that's how I am. It's not really a love or hate. It's appreciated. You just weren't that guy. I'm with you, Coach. That that sums up exactly how I feel as well. And I'm excited about the future for the Rockets. I really am. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. All right, let's go. Let's go. Uh, you know, you're a big Cougars fan, so I already talked about Clyde mm-hmm. Drexler. But any conversation about Houston basketball, it's got to start with the Dream. Okay, so let's do let's do a big man edition of Start Bench Cut. Hakeem the Dream, Elijah Wan, Yao Ming. And Shaq, and again, we're talking. We're not talking about the, the Shaq that yeah, uh, that uh, Dream beat up in the finals in '95. Yeah. We're talking like L.A. Shaq, you know, Big Daddy Diesel Shaq. Who would you start bench cut? Yao Ming, Shaq, Hakeem, the Dream, Elijah Wan. Honestly, start Hakeem. Okay, start Hakeem because he can give you what Shaq and Yao give you in one person, finesse with some big body. Yeah. I'm going to bench Shaq and I'm gonna cut you out. And why? Yeah, okay. And I, why is was it just Shaq was so dominant? You know, once Shaq was just too dominant to cut. Sure. But I mean, Elijah Wan gives you Yao finesse with Shaq. I mean, just great, gracious bully. That's what to me Elijah Wan was a gracious bully. And Shaq was just a bully, you know. I thought about throwing David Robinson in there, but we don't even need to do that. We saw what Hakeem did to David Robinson. So no, I wasn't a big Admiral fan. I was okay. not. Yeah. I would take Tim Duncan over Admiral yep. any day. I like that. I like that. I like yeah. that. 
Okay, you were a former def- uh, disruptive defensive tackle, Galena Park. I'm sure Coach Martinez, he fought for you to come up on varsity as a sophomore. Let's do a three-technique edition, a star okay. bench cut. J.J. Watt, I know you're a Houston guy, J.J. Watt, yeah. Aaron Donald. Whew, boy, he put on a show in the Super Bowl. And another dude, I'm sure you're going to remember this name, Warren Sapp, another athletic, kind of reminds me of yourself, athletic style, strong defensive tackle. J.J. Watt. Aaron Donald, Warren Sapp, start bench cut. Sapp, start. Okay, there we, okay. Why is that? Sapp huh? gives you yeah. Sapp gives you quickness with with big body. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's hard to teach. Um, I'm going to say Aaron Donald on the bench. Okay, JJ, you're going to cut JJ. Okay, now I know you're a bit, you're a Texas fan, so just I like it. You you call it like you see it. You're not going to let your homerism, but why why uh. I kind of agree with you. I think Aaron Donald's the truth, man. I mean, he is incredible. Yeah. Changed the game. Is that why? Just a little more game-changing power? Game-changing. I think Sap was the originator of starting to change the game. Right, where three sure. techniques need to be quick. So I always got to go with the OG. Um, I was not a big fan of JJ and Houston. Okay, really? Tell us about, okay, I'm curious. I, was, I was a big fan of the humanitarian side of him. Sure, sure. I just believe as a D-line guy and what I saw, he was a lot of times at a position on the run. Okay. A lot yeah. of times. Yeah, yeah. And we'd get gashed. And a lot of times it felt like it looked and, – and, and, and honestly, NFL, they long stick, two-gap stuff, and everything yeah. is different. But from my point of view, I would see a bunch of gaps that J.J. would leave open because I'm going to go make mine, you know. And maybe I was wrong. I don't know. That's just how I felt. Well, hey, not a big- if anybody knows defensive line play, it's certainly you. I mean, you, you – I, I trust I trust your opinion. I, I I'm not a Texans fan, so I, I don't really watch. I'm a big Rockets fan. I'm an Astros fan, but I after the Oilers left, I couldn't really get into the Texans. So yeah. I, I definitely trust your opinion on that. All right, last one. Let's end up the Astros, man. They just went up to New York. They had a, a great series against the Yankees. They split. They could have won all four, you know. So they're playing some good baseball. Let's do an Astros edition. Start bench cut. Altuve, Correa, Springer. Start bench cut Altuve, Correa, Springer. Jose Altuve. I'm not going against the GOAT. I'm going to start Altuve. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. Yep. He's the best Astro to ever put on that uniform already, in yeah. my opinion. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I'm going to bench Correa and okay. I'm going to cut Springer. And tell, Altuve, no explanation needed. I get it. What, what was the differential between Correa and Springer? I'm curious. I think with Correa and Springer, the leadership ability. I think Correa, am I glad we did not pay him and handcuff ourselves? Yes, but I just, I think we miss his leadership. Yeah. And he, he just has that. Whether people say he's too open with it, with the yelling and getting, he, he inspires. He inspires his teammates. And I think he inspired because he loved being here. And he loved being an Astro, and uh, it's hard to replace, man. I don't think he's the same guy in Minnesota when it comes to leadership like that. Yeah. But uh, it's going to be hard to replace. I'm with you, man. Spring, I love all Springer, I just yeah. felt like he never wanted to be here after 2017. Right, sure. And honestly, I always felt like Springer would be gone to an East Coast team. I always felt that. Yeah. I said I used to always say, even in like 15 – Springer's going to be a Red Sox one day. I was wrong. He went yeah. north, northeast, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> really northeast. But I always thought he was going to be a Red Sox. 
Love I always it. thought Springer was going to be a Red Sox. I, yeah. I felt like Correa would have stayed here his whole career. Yeah. If the Astros would have offered it to him. I agree with you, but I think you'll agree with me, man. Jeremy Pena looks oh, like I'm he gonna... might be something special. So I think yeah, I agree. I think we might have made the right decision at the end of the day because yes. we knew we had Pena coming. But man, that was fun, coach. If, if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, please leave that five star review. It takes 10 seconds. Please just go and do that. It helps more people hear these awesome stories that coach is making a difference. Hit the follow button to subscribe and hear new episodes episodes as soon as they come out each week. Follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kobo. That's Coach underscore K-O-B-O for all the newest episodes. If you're about this team player life and you're digging the show, we want to hear about it. Hit us up at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. We lift up our own inside of Team Player Nation. So I take recommendations. Send me, send me an email. Reach out to me and who, you, who you'd love to see on the show. We'll get them on here. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr. And our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach Gonzalez, man, this has been fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, man, thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Awesome. Thank you so much for all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track just one more time My family think I bump my head, lost my mind Insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But I need one more boy, and one more line Record the track just one more time My family think I bump my head, lost my mind Insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But I need one more boy, and one more line Record the track just one more time My family think I bump my head Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy. Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but